and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast with more awkward pauses than Bruce's peristaltic contraption. I'm fucking, I'm going to do that over. God damn it! Peristaltic contractions. That was my phrase. Hello, and welcome to the Survivor Historians, the only Survivor podcast with more awkward pauses than Bruce's peristaltic contractions. As always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher, and I, I can't sleep in wet pants. And I'm Mike Bloom, and I also communicate with my family via love signs. <laughs> and uh, is Paul here? And I'm Paul Ostlison, ready to slay this episode guillotine-style, baby. <laughs> All right. The whole group is back. We're a four-pack. That's not right. going to turn into a six-pack anytime soon. <laughs> And also, this is—I have to say—this is the worst gang of all time. If this—if we are a gang, like this, this is the worst. Yeah, we run the streets. All right, we're like, so the, four we Le, we're like the four Lamina men. I'm Dan. <laughs> oh, you uh, would be. I'm Dan Fuego. So all Paul's going to talk about is like I'm a teacher. Did you know I'm a teacher? You know, <laughs> being a teacher in the classroom. And that Paul—he's so heroic. He's inspirational. He's a teacher, man. <clears throat> all right, so when we vote Paul off at the end, we're all going to stand up and salute him. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, so uh, we are about to go through uh, a particularly dry stretch of episodes here, culminating, culminating in the Bruce episode, which is, I know, the only reason anybody's going to tune into this podcast. But uh, as you know, we, we started the, fir- the first part of Exile Island. We went through the first five episodes, and uh, we left off with, was it Bobby? Was he the last person who got voted out? Mm-hmm. We, right. we, we, we covered we covered all of the Bob Dog stuff. We got most of the pre-merge people out of the way. Obviously, we're not totally done with the pre-merge yet, but we're getting to a particular set of in- episodes. We can get through episode six, but everybody at home, remember what we talked about in the first podcast, that after episode six, Survivor goes on uh, pretty much a three-week or almost a full-month hiatus after episode six, Dan Fuego's vote-off. And, and, and there's, a reca- there's a recap episode in the middle there. But this is basically it. This is the setup for the second half of the season that Survivor took a huge break for. That's odd, isn't it? Yeah, it's, although it's kind of fitting just the way our podcast is laid out here that we ended part one of Exile Island with the deuce man, Bobby. And we're going to end part two with the other deuce man, which is Bruce. So it's, it's going to work out real well. And the then we end, we're going we're gonna to end the third part with Aris winning, which everyone kind of craps on him as a winner for a long time. So it's all, it's all fitting. <laughs> it all comes yeah. back to poop. It all comes back to poop. Really, when you think of this season, think poop. All right. So uh, just to lay out a little outline here, we're going to go through some particularly boring episodes where we have to get rid of some very dull characters and not to spoil, but uh, they are Dan Barry, Nick uh, Stanberry, and then what is it? Austin Cardiberry. We have three berries in a row there. Cardi- is that how that- Cardi- Cardi- yeah. They're like, is that, delicious his, is that bre- his pen name? <laughs> yeah. They're all delicious breakfast cereal. And they will all be half of the tribe on um, survivor fans versus favorites three. So watch out for them. <laughs> all right. So here we go. We're going to jump right into episode six with the four pack here. It's going to be a two V two. And we're going to start with, uh, we just lost the, the almighty Bob dog. And we start on episode six with uh, Shane complaining that they should not have voted out Bobby last night. They should have voted out Bruce because Bruce is too hard to control. These first well, two I, episodes we're going to talk about, I just absolutely love these opening scenes with Courtney and what's going on at Kasai. It's absolutely uh, some of the best moments that we're going to talk about over these next four episodes. And, and Shane is always, he's a wordsmith, really, and I love the way he describes why they should have gotten rid of Bruce. And I believe he says exactly, 
Bruce is falling apart. It's not his fault. He's 58 and he's nervous. And I think that's just the weirdest way to describe him saying, well, he's old and he's, fa- and he's basically physically out of shape so we can get rid of him. So I guess I'll bring up the big elephant in the room here. This is the Dan episode, which <laughs> a lot of people love this episode for its uh, ir- ironic ability to entertain you because it's one of those episodes that Mark Burnett clearly intended to be portrayed one way and it accepted one way and it really wasn't. Like the fan base did not appreciate this episode like I think he expected them, them to. It's tough because a lot of times, and, and at, you know, when you go into when you go to the teaching profession, and Paul knows this, a lot of times people who go in there, and all of you know, all of you at home, you've you've been in schools, you've had teachers, and you know that there are some teachers, older people, that expect you to respect them because of the simple fact that they're older, and you know there is that old phrase of respect is earned, not given, and the and the problem is is that Dan is an astronaut. That is probably the one of the, not only one of the coolest professions ever to become an astronaut, to become someone that gets to fly up in a space shuttle, takes incredible work over years and years and years. Not only do you need to get your PhD and stuff, you then need to train for like another decade and a half before they even let you, you know, within sniffing distance of a space shuttle. And so, you know, people in the know, like Mark Burnett and stuff like that, who, who are sort of in awe of NASA and astronauts, look at Dan and go, oh my God, we have an actual astronaut on Survivor. But the problem is, is that to the general public, yeah, an astronaut's some sort of cool, abstract job, but that's it. And so you have Dan out there, who's just basically human Skeletor, who's not done a whole mess of anything either cool or interesting on the season, and it's like, we're supposed to just give him deference because he's a NASA astronaut? It doesn't work like that. Yeah, and again, that's the whole tone of this episode is that Mark Burnett or whoever whoever edits the episode, I know it all comes from Burnett just because of his age. He grew up in the 60s. He's into adventure, exploring, all that stuff that an astronaut is just a huge deal to someone kind of his age and his generation. And that's the tone of the episode is that he just expects that everyone feels that way about an astronaut. Like Jay said, like for younger people, it's like, all right, well, that's cool. But like there's other cool people on Survivor too. Like in later seasons, there was a coconut vendor and that was cool too. So it's like one of those things like, the tone of the episode is very odd, I've always found. And I think it, it speaks to sort of the whole idea of Survivor in general, right? That we've harkened back all the way to season one, that it's 16 people plucked from different walks of life, expected to live together and survive and thrive together on some sort of remote destination. And I think that astronaut is one of those things that, like you say, Jay, it's really cool on paper, like, awesome, this is an astronaut. But once you put him on an island and he doesn't have, you know, flight control simulators and he doesn't have to pick up moon rocks or anything like that, it's sort of like, okay, this is just Dan without any sort of cool astronaut, you know, garb on him or any sort of dressings on that would make him an interesting person to begin with. So this, is, this is Dan at his core that we're seeing. And as we're seeing, Dan at his core is uh, not a very interesting person. He is kind of a douche. A little bit of a douche we see this episode. But other than that, there's really not much to him. You can't even tack on Fuego to his name and make him interesting. It's just, (laughs) it's a lost cause. By the way, that Dan Fuego thing, this is something we forgot to mention. A lot of people watching these these episodes wonder about Dan's nickname, Dan Fuego. That's, at the time, in the early 2000s, it may still be that way today, but I don't know. On on SportsCenter, there was a, they had lots of catchphrases and they talk about sports. And one of the big ones was En Fuego, which means on fire. So, Dan Fuego is a takeoff on En Fuego, which all these guys would have known at the time because they're all manly men. There's one thing we can say about Lamina. It's a bunch of manly men. So, yeah, so that's Dan's Sports Center name in case people are curious. Uh, does yeah. that mean Bruce, Bruce embodies a Sports Center phrase, uh, shoot the puck up as pooper? 
Put the biscuit in the basket, Bloom. Well done. <laughs> Man, I wish I could remember some Craig Kilborn uh, catchphrases. I was going to go for one. Never mind. All right. And anyway, before we get delve into this episode too far, one more thing is that this episode was hyped. Uh, I mean, really big at the time. Like next week, the most emotional or the biggest tribal council you have ever seen. A moment like on a, on a, like no other in the history of Survivor. So it's like. This episode was really built up in the promos, and it's kind of funny in what a blah episode it is. There's really nothing that happens in this episode, but this one was hyped as like the biggest episode in Survivor history at the time. And I heard someone on the internet make a joke the other day that, you know, at the end of this episode where all these misfits and miscasts, you know, beat the Navy fighter pilot and the astronaut and they vote the astronaut out of the game, that's actually the moment, if you listen closely, you can hear Mark Burnett walking up, walking out of the editing bay and slamming the door and leaving the franchise because he doesn't care anymore. All right, so let's get into it. So we start with the episode. Shane is upset that they voted out Bobby. They should have taken out Bruce. And now for the first in, what, 30 different times this this season, Shane wants out of the alliance. He's done with them. He wants nothing to do with Danielle and Courtney anymore. Poor Shane's son in a lot of ways because, you know, then Shane's like, I want out. And, you know, a theme that's going to happen over the next couple of episodes is that Shane, not only does he want out of the alliance, but then he's like, but I can't get out of the alliance because I swore to the alliance on my son's name and they need to take that back. And it's like, you know, that's words, right? I mean, I get the gesture, but like, if you're done and they're done, let's just call it done. Like, we, we don't need to take anything back, really, do we? Yeah, all he has to do is swear on his son's name that he's out of the alliance now. I mean, that yeah. seems like that's as easy as that. Yeah, the the thing that I, well, one of the many things I love about Shane is that he really does not have a filter. He he does soliloquize or shaquila or whatever you want to call this about. He he's just speaking out loud throughout this episode about how you know I I I, I want to get out of this alliance, but I told I promised it on my son's name, and I love the fact that he doesn't he doesn't even like think like well maybe i shouldn't tell my alliance members that maybe i should just say i'm out but he instead tells them the exact same thing that he told the cameras in the exact same situation that he finds himself in and i i just always find that really funny because to shane i think the camera is just everyone's almost the cameraman he's not gonna try to lie or put on any sort of filter in front of any person that's on that island he's gonna think that he's basically out there on his own just recording his thoughts what I think works so great about this scene is the fact that Courtney is actually absent from this. I mean, if she would have been in the shelter, there probably would have been some more fireworks. But the fact that she's out sleeping by the fire and we get to have Suri be the messenger to deliver this news to Courtney, it extends the scene even longer and makes makes for a, a hilarious dialogue. Oh, yeah, I forgot. This is the one where they have their argument while they're sleeping, right? So Shane and Danielle are, like, cuddling while he's bitching her out, which is that, that what's happening. It's, like, middle of the night. It's like, I don't want to be in this alliance no more. Oh no! That uh, I think the next episode is when they're arguing while they're while they're cuddling. Okay, uh, no, 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 no. The next episode, it's he's elbowing Courtney because Courtney can't sleep. So then Courtney gets kicked out of the shelter. Okay, there's so many cuddling arguments in the season. It's hard. It, it's hard to keep them all straight. All right. So yeah. So Courtney's out of the shelter when Shane declares he wants out of the alliance, and naturally, Sari, because she is the biggest shit stirrer of them all. She has to go the next morning, and she has to tell Courtney what happened, because Courtney needs to know, as Suri points out while giggling. <laughs> it gets to be fun here at Kasaya, and I, you know, it really does bring the, uh, it brings that strategy, or the, the saying together of winning sort of breeds camaraderie in some way, because here's Suri, and it's, 
What's funny, and also take note in the next couple of episodes, and I'm sort of jumping ahead, but a lot of these middle episodes, episode six and episode eight and nine, seven, of course, being the recap one, um, they sort of run together. And and some of the theme here is that Suri has always sort of, she's been on the outs of, of this alliance with Shane, Courtney, Aris, and Danielle, right? And you know the Kasaya at this point they're down to six. Uh, if I if I'm right, right? It's it's the Kasaya, the main four alliance, and then it's Sari and Bruce, right? Yeah. So, so Sari is on the outs of this alliance, and she always is talking about trying to break up that alliance. And she always has these great confessionals where she's you know giggling to the camera and and trying to tell them about how hey they're fighting. That's great. I'm gonna and and as you said, Mario, she's she's a shit stirrer. She's stirring up this pot because she wants them to sort of splinter and fracture so that she can get in and yet when they get to the merge even though she's not part of this core four like they all stick together and that's just like the fun part of kasaya is that they've got this like main four of the six but the six are still committed to each other and the four it's it's just incredible that with all of this dysfunctionality going on at kasaya they stay together in two distinct groups well, I think that also we're probably going to talk about this a little more once we get to the merge. But I think Lamina's whole "let's keep around all the strong guys" kind of ends up fucking themselves because oh, yeah. when you when you merge and it's like, oh great, so I can jump over from my alliance of kind of the stragglers and unathletic people and go over to an alliance that has Terry, Nick, and Austin who are going to beast all these physical challenges, presumably for the rest of the game. Does is that really a bait that you want to take? Oh yeah, I mean we're you know we, Mario said last podcast and it was funny. He said that uh, you know Terry's not so bad you know in other situations and Terry's terrible at Survivor and we're <laughs> going to get into that this this episode. I'd, I'd like to take back anything I said in podcast one about Terry. Okay, I I, I swear on my son's name that I didn't mean any of that. I swear on Paul. <laughs> I swear I swear on Paul's name that I didn't mean any of that. Jeez, thanks. <laughs> if we if we don't see Paul next podcast, I think we'll know why. <laughs> oh, there's so plenty anyway, of reasons we won't see Paul. So anyway, getting forward, they go to Lamina. Is there anything interesting with Lamina? Well, Dan is staring at the sun. <laughs> and uh, he's actually been to this island. He's been 200 miles from this island from above. <laughs> yeah, that's, oh a, that's, the, that's the thing about Dan is that, like, Dan, any ordinary person, like, even in, like, episode one, Dan has an okay way of revealing his true, you know, career path to Terry. This time he does it in the weirdest, douchiest, <laughs> most roundabout way possible. On the like, raft? <laughs> on the raft with Nick, like, you know, I've done more than work on space shuttles. I've been on a few of them. It's like, uh, you're not trying to pick up girls here, Dan. This is this is Survivor. You're on a freaking raft. You have, you have Nick just like feeding into it so hardcore, like, oh my god, I never thought I'd need an astronaut, let alone live with one. Yeah, that's Burnett feeding him lines off camera. Make sure to say this really loud. Do, do you think that Dan ever went to like a bar to like, you know, go to a girl and he like holds up a picture of like the space shuttle Columbia and he's like, you see that? That's my other car. Well, I think that Dan going to a bar would involve Dan going outside, which by his skin tone, I think he hasn't done in a long time. Yeah. So yeah, again, this is yeah Dan telling everyone his big secret, which isn't really much of a secret because everyone is pretty well aware of it by the time he's voted out. Yeah, so now Dan Fuego is spilling the guts. Now they're just talking openly about Dan being an astronaut. And Dan's like, you know, you know, we, we're eating this rice out of this bowl. You know where else I've eaten rice? On the space shuttle. It was in a tube in paste form, but it was rice-like. Exactly. All right, so anyway, uh, so yeah, so that's it for Lamina. That's the only thing interesting going on at the time is that 
Dan is spilling his secrets, and he's staring at the sound and the inspirational music, the heroic Dan music is playing. <clears throat> okay. And the nation wiped away their tears as we move on in the episode. Yeah. As we move back to Kasaya, where Courtney can say the line that Paul uh, referenced already earlier, the guillotine style. I just love it so much. You know, they talk about how what well Shane wants to take his his son's name back, whatever. Well, you know, done over. And then she makes these hand motions and she says guillotine style and uh, but she, makes the but motion. The best part is again, it all comes back to poop. She makes like poop sound effects while she does. She goes like, out of here. Oh God, how many poop jokes are we going to have in this podcast? That was called <laughs> foreshadowing. <laughs> these editors are so smart. They're so clever. (laughs) So we have a little, a little leakage here, a little anal leakage giving away a storyline here, but yeah. So uh, back to Kasaya and they're just fighting. I'm going through my notes here. Is there anything specific about this fight? Uh, Aris says, I need to get out of this alliance. Shane is an idiot. Uh, Aris saying, yeah, this alliance was ridiculous. There was no uh, power anyway. Oh, and here we go. Shane utters a great quote about Danielle. I don't like Danielle. She's a meatball. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> oh, a meatball sub. Amber was excited about that. You know, the, the title of this podcast, I just realized, is going to be Meatball, Not a Meatball. It'll be our, our takeoff on the Smasher one from part one, which, which took over the internet, as you recall. You know, what would be awesome is, you know, when we get... Uh, we got Chris Doherty to give the introduction to one of our podcasts before, you know, this is Chris Doherty, blah, blah, blah. I'd love if we could get Ruth Marie to come on and say, this is Ruth Marie, and I am most definitely a smasher. And now here's the historians. You know what? I feel like Ruth Marie's voice is so nondescript that any of us could do a Ruth Marie voice, <laughs> no and would nobody know. would know the difference. <laughs> no one would know. We'll get Kristen. She's still dying to be on the podcast. Oh, wow. <laughs> Kristen's a girl. She can play her. Wow. <clears throat> All right. So now we come to the immunity challenge. And this is one where uh, it's the reward plus immunity combined. It's one of these challenges. And this is the big one for Lamina. Because if they win this, they can get back in the game. They can tie it up at 5-5. to And Mark Burnett's heroic band of men and fighter pilots and astronauts can win over these losers. So this is a big moment for for the season. It really, it's all kind of downhill for Lamina after this challenge if they lose. You know, and I I get that. And it's... I understand the situation, but it's just really funny because Terry gives a couple confessionals. He's like, this is our game seven. And I'm like, well, Terry, it's day 16. Yeah, it's math yeah seriously. <laughs> so, you know, we I feel like we put on our tinfoil hats a couple times uh, during the course of this podcast. What do you guys think about this whole like now for this round? It's a combined challenge. And also the person that loses gets uh, the tribe that loses. Someone gets sent to Exile Island to miss his tribal council. Do you, do you guys think that was a little bit of a producer uh, trying to, to keep Sally safe, or do you think it just hap- they just happened to kind of toss the dice and make it this round be the one where everything's a little bit different? Well, I think it, the vision was that, Kasa- that the producers expected Kasaya to be like, oh my gosh, an astronaut's on their team. We need to, <laughs> we need to blast him over to Exile Island and save him. So, but I think that it, it, it didn't work out, but that was definitely the producer's you know, their, their wish. Yeah, my thoughts about this is there. It's always some kind of producer manipulation. Like that's what I think of the producers after knowing and following the show so many so much over the years. Is that anytime something like this just randomly shows up, I think it's some sort of manipulation. But I can't always dare to guess what their intentions were. But I know there's there's a reason this showed up right here. It's like it's always like that. There is, but 
one thing that makes me think that it didn't quite go up to their plan is that you're right. Looking at it objectively, you would think that of the five people in Lamina, there's the Guy 4 Alliance and then there's Sally. And so if Kasaya wins and they're astute, they send Sally to exile, forcing the four guys in Lamina to vote one and one of them off. And that's all in a good thing. But I don't know if they necessarily thought that would be the case. I mean, you know, Paul Paul makes a, a funny thing about Dan, but, you know, I think a lot of times, you know, sometimes people would think, oh, they would just send Terry to Exile Island or, you know, just some strong person there. But I, I think that this was less, because they didn't talk about it a whole ton, they just sort of dropped it on us and we didn't get a, you know, we didn't really get a lot of their talking in their little group when they had to choose somebody. I think that this is just more Kasaya, again, as dysfunctional and as crazy as they are, they're not stupid. And they saw the fact that the guys were just picking off the girls on the other side. And they said, well, Sally will probably get voted off. And so let's just throw a wrench in their plans. And they sent Sally to Exile Island. Actually, I think this is just a, a, a an instance of the contestants being smart and doing the correct thing. Yeah. Actually, to go back what you were saying, Mike, um, I think the producers must have figured that Lamina would win this challenge. I mean, you have Terry going out there and brute forcing all the puzzle pieces back. And you got Dan solving the puzzle. And Dan's what, like a NASA flight engineer? Like, he's clearly a very good puzzle solver. So it's one of these, I'm sure they just didn't think Lamina could possibly lose this challenge. Yeah, and they think that if Lamina wins, then that's someone from Kasaya is going to Exile Island. And they probably send somebody like Aris or Shane or, or, or Danielle or somebody that, that they prize over there and that, you know, that would leave, you know, and even though Sari turns out to be like the absolute star of the season, they probably didn't necessarily know that at this moment. And so they were like, probably Sari or Bruce goes home or, or, or something like that. But, you know, they were just thinking, oh, this will be fine and stuff like that. But no, Kasaya wins. They send Lamina there. But uh, let's get let's get to this challenge. First of all, this challenge it's basically a two part. They have to run uh, sort of like a winding path, and the paths go to four stations where they need to untie a knot, unhook a large puzzle piece of which there are four, and then you need they're all skulls, and then you need to rotate this board and fit the skulls into place. There are runners, and then there are puzzle solvers, and the winners win immunity, and they get to go to a Panamanian village and eat food and give toys to kids, and the losers. Uh, go to tribal council, and one person is going to go to Exile Island for the vote and be safe. So, of you know, it would be of six of Kasaya, only five would go to tribal council, and of the five Lamina, only four would go to tribal council. What's funny is I'd completely forgotten until I watched this challenge that they were bringing toys to the village for the children. Yeah, yeah that, that is that is maybe one minute of like the entire five minute scene. Yeah. Well, it's, it's just, I, yeah. I think it's because Kasaya went right. Like if if Lamina goes then probably you get, you know, patriotic music with Terry and Dan giving toys to kids, and they're probably talking about how great they are to be Americans. But no, we get Kasaya going, and then you get, like, them dancing and Bruce doing karate and Shane bumming cigarettes. Like, yeah, yeah you, you get, like, the whole everything else, which is just funnier than, oh, hey, kids, here's some hula hoops. Can <laughs> you imagine if, if Lamina went to the village, like, Dan would only insist on, like, the Hess truck space shuttles, and everyone would sing, <laughs> sing along to ground control as the sun set? <laughs> Well, they would have to have individual scenes of Dan informing each child in that village that he was an astronaut. Like, hey. see this little toy truck? You know what I was on? I was up in space. <laughs> hey, do you like that toy truck? Do you like pushing it on the ground? Yeah, I've been in a freaking space shuttle, kid. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry your mom just passed away last week, but she's up in heaven now, which is where I happened to be near when I was in my space well, shuttle. Two, 200 feet away. Not exactly there. 200 feet away. <laughs> above heaven. Wow. 
That was pretty so good. So anyway, uh, anyway, th- this just uh, d- to speed forward here. Yes, Kasaya wins the immunity thing because Kasaya is an unexpected power. Basically, Terry gets out a, a big lead, and Lamina gets the puzzle piece back faster than Kasaya does. But then Dan struggles on the puzzle, and what they sort of implies that it's one of those interlocking puzzles and sort of getting the first one in is important and what they sort of show you is that maybe they had the first piece in but Dan says no that's not right and then they take it out and then they struggle and then you know Bruce and Sari basically solve the puzzle in like two seconds after that for Kasaya Kasaya wins and then we get to go to the reward with Kasaya also they send Sally to Exile Island because it's smart we've already uh, talked about that so the four men at Lamina are going to have to go to Tribal Council and bully each other out yay Lamina drama I know you guys are excited for this really? sorry let okay. me contain myself oh, oh I'm, sorry. You're <laughs> I'm, sorry. I'm sorry I'm sorry let's go to Kasaya on the reward yay alright so Kasaya is going to go deliver the toys to the uh, Panamanian fishing village and uh, they do, and they get there, and it's basically just one big glutton feast with Kasaya pigging out and playing soccer and uh, and uh, bonding once again, much to uh, Suri's dismay. But yeah, so this is a really fun scene, and it's one that almost everybody remembers from this season. I do the love. The only way to make it better would be if Corazon showed up to steal some eyes. <laughs> Oh no 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 no! <laughs> oh, I also oh. I also love that like you, you sort of hinted at it earlier. The the toy giving is literally like two seconds long. Like they're yeah. just like, oh, you're gonna give toys to the kids, and it's like a lot of times on Survivor in, in 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 modern seasons and in older seasons as well. Sometimes when they're giving things to someone in the village, they make a big production out of it. Like, oh, isn't this great? We're giving them school supplies or something like that. But literally, the boat pulls up and the kids like rush to the boat and they're just like, here, kids, do some toys. Okay, where's the food? <laughs> yeah, well, they, they deleted the scene where Courtney popped a ball and then had to roll it into the ocean. <laughs> they drew a little heart around it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hardly Lex delivering the AIDS supplies to the hospital in Africa, yeah. is it? It's, it's close, like, but... <laughs> they're, they're playing soccer. They're doing, you know, fun things around the village. But one of the funnier scenes that sticks out in my hand is that you see a guy, like, go up to Shane. Shane's, like, sitting by himself, and he, like, holds out, like, a beer or something. Like, hey, you want a beer? And he's smoking, and Shane's just like, no, 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 give me the cigarette. And I love his narration that he said he'd literally give up all all in any parts of his clothes in order to get a cigarette. And luckily, you would think that that's the only time that, you know, Shane would possibly be naked during a, a <laughs> point of serious moments in the series, but we have more to come with that. And Shane, with the understatement of the episode, this is probably a really bad decision. Yeah, the, I mean, you, you saw his face, like, you know, when, when, you, when you haven't, when you were on nicotine withdrawal, and then you have, like, that one cigarette that probably does almost nothing except just make your body just angry. Like you could see he was like, he was tripping out from that one cigarette. <laughs> it, it wasn't agreeing with him so well, but he, you know, it, it probably did some, some good things to him, but you know, how nice is that? I mean, here we have, you know, in survivor Pearl islands, they go to the fishing village and like Austin is trading like one shoe for like a mango or, or Rupert is, he's got the Morgan shoes and he's like trading like one shoe for, you know, measly supplies. And then this guy's got cigarettes and he just gives one to Shane. What a nice guy. You know, they, they should have given Morgan's unused Balboa's. I knew they were saving those for something. They should have transferred that over to the Casayas. <laughs> Could you imagine if Shane was in Pearl Island and, like, everyone brings back their bounty? Like, okay, I got these supplies. And she's like, great, I got ten packs of cigarettes. <laughs> so the villagers would re-gift the uh, Balboa's, Paul? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the other thing about the scene that a lot of people forget is, yeah, they have fun, and Shane smokes, and it's a funny scene, but... 
Kasaya gets the chance to bond again, and they all become friends. And after the earlier part in this episode where they were ready to turn on each other, now they're all buddies again. And Ceri's like, dang, I almost had them apart. Now they're all buddies again. What do I have to do? And then they never fight ever again. The ever end of again. Kasaya. Yeah, and I, I hate to keep bringing this back to poop, but I mean, Bruce does bring up that this is the last time he poops for the rest of the show. <laughs> yes. Hey, kids, want to watch me do karate? <laughs> which, which again, like, I love that they just—I don't know whose idea this is. Like, if 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 one of the Kasaya people brought it up, if one of the production camera people brought it up, or if Bruce is bringing it up because it's never really mentioned. But like, all of a sudden, then Bruce is just performing karate in front of everyone <laughs> in the village, and it's like. <laughs> Whose idea is this? Like they were just like, oh well, we got Bruce. I mean, he does karate. Does that? Do you guys want to see? No, not no, really. It, well, we're gonna do we, it we anyway. Have, we have to. We have to get going soon. We have to go to bed. No, don't worry. I'll do a karate demonstration. <laughs> They're starred for katas out here. Let me let me filter your water for you. <laughs> you know what's funny is that my son takes karate, and I've seen him go through these demonstrations where people show off their katas. It's like you may memorize sixty moves in a row, and you just go and demonstrate it. And watching someone do a kata is the fucking most boring thing ever. It's horrible. And, then, and again, that's it's the whole plot of Karate Kid 3, if you like your 80s movie of trivia, that someone can do a kata. But yeah, the fact that it's entertainment to watch someone do a kata is, is, is not correct. I'll just say that. Right. Like, I, I understand the point, and the point is, you know, discipline and showing things and all that sort of stuff. But it's like, ultimately, someone else is like, dude, you're not, you're not kicking anyone's ass. Yeah. Like, you're literally just, you know, oh, man, you, you really showed that air who's boss. Let me yeah. tell you what. Punch a board. Kick some ice. Yeah, and, and, and as everyone says, like, you know, p- hitting a board with your hands or head or feet or whatever it is is not really the greatest demonstration of any karate skills. It's just more show than anything else. But there's some substance to that, right? Like, oh, my God, yeah. you split a board. It's like, with this one, it's like, oh, my God, you're chopping at nothing. Yeah, and we don't know if you're memorizing the kata. You could be making up moves. We have no idea if those are the right moves. Trust me, this is the kata. Oh, <laughs> uh, that reminds me to... Uh... Uh, tangential story at my high school we had to do this like senior project thing and some of us people in the band like we pretended to like it wasn't me I, I did a, a boring thing on history but some of my uh, bandmates they their senior project was you had to like learn a new skill and write a report and show you know all these ages of progression and they basically said they learned a new instrument of like the marimbas and stuff like that and they literally didn't they just like had pictures of them learning and then for their final presentation they just went in there and just banged on the marimba in just random patterns and it's like the judges didn't know any better and they were like well that that's really great that must have taken you hours and they were like yeah no i mean yes if, totally that is the whole theory behind jazz music as well in case people are wondering <laughs> yes and that and those people grew up to be louis armstrong <laughs> or 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 bruce or bruce he is the louis armstrong of katas he is the louis armstrong of katas <laughs> and i think to myself <laughs> yes by the way my son has done many katas for his karate class and he's never yelled psychotically like bruce does all right so we get the panamanian fishing village a very fun scene it's one i probably should have written more about on the phone 115 as a very uh, welcome moment of levity in this in this string of episodes so i'm glad it was there and now we're going to go back to lamina for the rest of the episode yay yay (laughs) Paul, talk about Lamina. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that's all I got. <laughs> hey, guys, you know how there's four of us left in Lomina? Well, there was four stages in the rocket that I was on up in NASA. 
But I, I will say that as boring as this, the rest of the episode may be, which is basically, you know, Terry saying, I'll go, I'm making the decision. Dan, it's time for you to go home. And he tells Dan and Dan says, okay. I love just Dan's, again, Dan bringing it back to space in this episode, talking about his, his, him biffing the puzzle piece section and saying, you know, if I was standing around like that in space, we'd die. <laughs> <laughs> he really was obsessed with the puzzle and like he kept like they came back from the challenge and he's just like man I, I thought we had it and like he's talking about the puzzle and it's like I understand you just came back from the challenge you lost you have to vote someone out and so you're you're going to talk about the puzzle I mean you have so much time out there on that island I'm sure that they talk about the challenges all the time but every time they went back to Dan because this, this is the rest of the episode it's the fact that Dan is like well it's me and Terry against Austin and Nick and so it's probably going to be a 2-2, but, you know, Terry's just like, well, I guess I need to cut Dan loose at this point and stuff like that. But it's just them sort of arguing this whole, is it going to be 2-2 or 3-1 to one, uh, and, and Dan's going home. And, and eventually Terry tells Dan that, yeah, it's going to go 3-1 and Dan's going to go home. But, like, Dan just every once in a while, he's just like, well, I'd want it to be 2-2 because, uh, man, I really missed that puzzle. I mean, that puzzle, let me tell you about it. And he, like, he, talk, he brings the puzzle up in every scene for the rest of the show. And it's like, Dan, I, okay, you screwed up the puzzle. Let it go, buddy. Well, then yeah, what, on his uh, exit uh, interview on the early show, the guy interviewing him asked, like, what happened with that puzzle? You're like an astronaut. Can't, aren't you supposed to be able to do those things hanging upside down? But like, What was his answer? <laughs> I'm curious what his answer was. <laughs> You know, I think I was so bored I didn't listen. If you want a really boring, boring uh, early show interview, any Lamina that gets kicked off, watch their early show interview. It'll put you to sleep. If it were me, I'd be like, what? I'm supposed to do everything upside down? Am I a freaking bat? I'm like, do we do send bats to space? Well, the, the thing is that as much as Dan gripes about, like, I'm an astro- I'm, a, I'm a rocket engineer. I shouldn't be doing the puzzle. Like, do we not? Does he not remember Dave in episode one of Amazon? Like, exact same thing happened six seasons ago. My bro, I totally agree with you. Bangarang. It would be most bodacious if you would not bring up our intelligence and puzzle-solving skills. All right, so anyway, uh, Terry tells Dan they're going to vote him out, and Dan says, you know what, I'll accept that. It was my responsibility, and I'll own it. And the big heroic music starts playing, and we will hear this music throughout the rest of the last 15 minutes of this episode the dan is a hero music and again yeah we're gonna make fun of a lot of dan a lot of fun of dan here but i have to say i like his attitude you don't see that a lot on survivor i screwed up i'll accept it i'm sorry guys so to dan's credit that was pretty cool and i like seeing that on survivor. now let's go back to the dan jokes well it, well the, there's the, a the lot thing of things that, that happen go ahead. go ahead dan go ahead jay i was caught uh, <laughs> go for it buddy i was gonna say that i the about how like that you know most emotional tribal counselors ex- completely unexpected tribal council and this is just another uh internet joke that people made that the only real unexpected moment of this tribal council is the fact that they changed the music when dan was getting up to get his torch <laughs> stuff and it's that inspirational music that you talked about before but i think this is the only time they use this music so maybe mark Burnett was just so uh affected and and you know traumatized by everything that happened with dan that they said this is the astronaut music and it will never be used again this is one of the few times where it works and survivor as a game evolves. And something that happens in a lot of older seasons is that there's a lot of people telling people that they are going to go home and the people coming to peace with it or accepting it. And a lot of people have that in the earlier seasons where they say that, Hey, if it is me going home, can you just tell me, can you give me the decency and tell me? And it's like, 
later on you learn that you can't really do that because people will scramble and turn the votes against you. You know, Survivor now is a lot more of a flippy sort of game uh, with numbers and split votes and hidden immunity idols and all that other stuff. And so you can't you can't do that. And so what's funny is that nowadays everything's a hashtag blindside. But the thing is, is that you kind of have to, because if you tell people they're going home, they have a chance to spin it. But in this situation, with these four, this isn't going to be flipped. Like, literally, it's just going to be three to one for Dan. And so they tell him, and, you know, because Terry, you know, or fighter pilot astronaut bros type of thing. And then Dan accepts it. And it's just one of these weird things that you just don't see very often anymore. So it's, it's, it's a very weird uh, thing to look at. Yeah, is there really anything else going on in this episode? I'm looking through my notes, and it's really just... I was going to say, like, I've taken the last, like, five minutes to, like, legitimately think of something that I really want to comment on Lamina, and I, I'm coming up blank, so I'm done. One one last thing I'm going to bring up before we... And we can totally just move on after this, but um, I need to give a shout-out here. I think that I, personally, Jay Fisher, on the Survivor Historians, more often than not, have taken a lot of shots at Jeff Probst uh, over the seasons, and I think admittedly so. Like Jeff is is the the host of the show and has has been the constant for all of the thirty plus seasons that we've had of Survivor. Uh, and I think that there's been a lot of moments where I think Jeff is not correct in what he does. I think this could be one of Jeff's best seasons as host. Jeff kills it this season, and I think that even in this tribal council, he has that exchange where you know he just literally says, "So Dan, are you just lying down and taking it then?" And Dan's like, "Well, no, I, I'm not. I, I want to fight, but I I can't." <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree with you. He is Probes is really good this season, and there's some we'll talk about late, in later episodes. I have a couple notes here where he really makes some good comments and cracks at the Kasayas that are very, uh, very appropriate. So yeah, yeah, he does a really good job this season. And again, this was a big moment for him. This this episode, he does it. He treats it very well, even though with all the astronaut stuff, like we have Terry saying, Dan has the right stuff, and I'm like, seriously, we're seriously going to put that in the episode? That's ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> so Dan leaves, and as he goes out, we get the standing salute. The standing salute. And somewhere off camera, you can hear Mark Burnett masturbating. <laughs> if you squint really hard, you can see an American flag waving in the background. Yes. No, that's not for a couple se- episodes yet, Mike. <laughs> yeah, you're well, that's, you know, that, no, the much more overt American flag comes out in about two episodes <laughs> or so. Yeah. One thing I think when I watch this episode is it really highlights the difference kind of between what the producers think of the show and what the fans think of the show. Like, when I think of this episode, the Dan episode, this is the most pointless episode of the season. Like, nothing happens. It's completely boring. It's just, you know, pick off the Pagong. It's the Pagong. You pick off the next person on the other tribe. It's you know, Survivor by numbers. There's nothing interesting about this episode. And that's you know, a lot of people's perception of this episode. It's either blah or it's unintentionally hilarious. It always kind of makes me laugh when I see these things. The difference in perception between what the producers think of the episode, uh, an episode or what the, the fans do. Like, I know Mark Burnett, if you ask him about Ex- Exile Island, that's probably the first thing he would say. He's like, that's the one we had that astronaut episode. It was so good. One of those things, like, I don't know a single fan who would say that. And, okay, well, one last thing I got to say about Dan before we send off Dan was not a meatball. That's the best I can say. Not a meatball. That's good. That's good. So then we're going to go off to Survivor for a couple of weeks and have a recap episode. Did anyone in their preparation watch the recap episode? Yeah, I, I did. And I'll actually say, you know, I don't think we'll probably not pontificate too much on it because I think, I don't know how many of us did, but I'll say that in the recap episodes that I've seen in recent memory, this is actually one of the better ones. And I think it just speaks to 
the cast because all the new scenes that they show, in my personal point of view, are actually a lot of fun. Well, yeah, there's, also, there's more Bob Dog in the recap than it was the entire season, if I recall. Yeah. There's a lot yeah, of Bob Dog. And, and someone sent me a note, Tom Dube, and I'm going to read it on here, where he basically says, he says, uh, I know you guys don't really do recap episodes, but this is worth a mention. It's my favorite Bruce moment of the season. And for some reason, there's a scene where he has an allergic reaction on his hands, and he decides he needs to use the rest of the camp's drinking water to wash his hands, which doesn't sound like anything too great, except it's pouring rain outside. Yep. So, so Bruce, instead of like holding his hands out in the rain and, and you know getting the uh, allergic reaction off that way, he has to use all the canteen water to wash his hands, and Shane just is like, what the hell, Bruce? <laughs> this is actually it's a it's a funny Bruce episode because we have him doing karate too at the old like older men's camp, and you have the katas as, as we were talking about before. But we have Shane calling them Wang Chungs. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what to say about that. Except every except everybody get down tonight. <laughs> yes. Okay, someone explain to Paul who Wang Chung is. Um, Paul. Do you know who yes. Wang Chung is? Nope. It was, well... Montana! <laughs> One day when the 1980s get to Montana, you will be all over it. Let me tell you. I think Paul's leaving. Yeah. <laughs> I've insulted Montana for the last time. <laughs> the, the, other, the other fun thing I'll say about the recap episode is that, first of all, Courtney uh, teaches the younger women a song in Spanish. Uh, which means that she's quite the songstress, as shown a few episodes later. But also, in Shane's sort of uh, insanity based around his son, apparently in episode four, it was his son's birthday, and he makes Kasaya sit on the beach and sing happy birthday into the sky, thinking that Austin, <laughs> his son will receive it. Oh, if only Dan had been there to comment on that. <laughs> you know, when you sing into the sky, guys. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's get past the recap. Any more recap things? I want to get to the merge. Nah, we can get to the merge. Uh, I, I dropped the ball and didn't actually watch the recap. I was I dedicated that 42 minutes to watch fan montages of a gene on YouTube, and I realized <laughs> that was a poor use of my time, so I'll have to go back and watch. So that means you watched one two-minute video 21 times. <laughs> I was going to say, just kidding. There is no video. Moving on. <laughs> All right, so we get up to episode eight, and we are about to start maybe the two most boring episodes in Survivor history. I hate to say that, but oh my god. Here is the merge, a.k.a. let's pick off the two leading Lamina people. <clears throat> All right, so we start the, ep- the episode eight, the merge episode, and Jeff probes in the recap. Sure enough, could not be a more Jeff probes thing. He just goes on and on about how awesome Dan was last episode. Oh, Dan, <laughs> Dan calmly accepted his fate, and everyone stood respectfully as he left the game. <laughs> I've never heard them talk about another player like that before. Oh, man. <laughs> yes. So yeah, so Jeff's steering the narrative to make sure you like Dan. And then we cut perfectly, you know, the perfect transition from heroic Dan. We go right to Courtney and Shane having a cuddle fight. As uh, Courtney explains it, he was elbowing me with his elbow. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That would be a good stinger for the end of the episode. Remember that quote. That's a good one. Yeah, so we have the Shane and Courtney having another fight, and Shane won't give her any space, so Courtney's mad. And then the next morning, this is a, the uh, famous appearance of Bruce's rock garden. 
You know, I think I think it appeared a few episodes ago, but this is worse. Like Paul said, there's a lot of foreshadowing this season, so we're getting bits and pieces. And so this is like Bruce. Bruce does his morning cleaning it out, and he talks about he does. His, we have we have a lot of typical Survivor merge quotes this episode of like, I can't wait for the merge because I'm an outsider. I can't wait for the merge because then I won't be with my allies anymore. Like we got to swing people over, and this is where we start filing into those kind of tropey merge statements. Yeah, I've been teaching a class on rock gardens for thirty years. Yeah, so Bruce just wants to make the, he's the, he just wants to make the merge. He's the outsider. He knows that, you know, on the, the six on Kasaya, he's the one, the, the last man out. And so he's just waiting for all the merge to happen so he can make his move. So they're trying to steer us in the direction that something interesting might happen. Although, spoiler, nothing will. All right, so the tribes get true mail that says, look for something hidden in the back of your beach. Look around your island, and there's something there that doesn't belong. Lamina does. And so Lamina, then yeah. the. The three guys that are left basically go and they find a boat and the boat's got a tarp and some wood on it and stuff like that. And they basically get a note and the note says, here's a map to Kasaya, paddle to Kasaya, open all the crap there. And, the, you know, everyone kind of knows what's happening at this point. So they're talking and then we get a confessional from Nick. Congratulations, Nick. It's like one of your first and only confessionals, which means you probably go home <laughs> this episode. Awesome for you, buddy. Well, well, give the guy we're, going a break. To, we're going to he just, merge. He just Go lost ahead. Dan. He's no longer living with an astronaut. Give him a I, break. Yeah, I'm sorry. It's hard. I'm sorry, Paul. Looks like we're merging with Kasaya. Reach for the stars, kids. Follow your dreams. Uh, we'll, we'll definitely get to that. <laughs> Austin has Austin has some confession. And Austin, I feel like we haven't talked too much about him. He's he's kind of an, an oddball a little bit. I know he's still kind of a bland young male type but he has it's weird that in this same scene he both makes a marvin gay reference and a sugar ray leonard reference yeah and, annoying and, and, well he gives the marvin he's like you know we got the note to go to kasaya and you know as marvin gay said let's get it on and i was like austin you do know that that song's about sex right <laughs> yeah we're gonna go have sex <laughs> as marvin kasaya. gay said let's go have sex with those women <laughs> don't insult john grisham oh <laughs> Yeah, is that the last episode when Dan was talking about astronaut stuff, or was that? Yeah, where any any he he ends the scene by quipping like, "Well, I have a secret for you guys. I'm actually John Grisham." Yeah, I mean, I'm not actually John Grisham, but ironically, all of my stories are about a young Southern lawyer trying to tr- buck the system. <laughs> and Dan's like, "You know who else bucked the system? I did when I was an astronaut. When I was an astronaut." <laughs> so anyway, they they go and and I agree with you, Mike. It, it's funny because the two young men that that are left on Lamina, we have Austin, we have Nick, and I think Austin is 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 a good character. Not not someone that I would say, oh man, he really needed to be brought back or highlighted in, in a lot of other senses. But you have Austin, who's who's got quite a bit of a personality on him and has really good confessionals and and you know ha, ha, has a good soundbite from time to time. And then we have Nick. <laughs> Nick is he the most pointless character in any Survivor season? Nick is a um, contestant on Survivor Exile Island. May I remind you about the Ashby line? <laughs> yeah, he's below I the mean, Ashby line. He does hit someone in the face with a machete, so I think he's above yeah, but you don't the even, Ashby he's line. Not even, he's not in the frame, Paul, yeah. when that happens. Nick, Nick's, hand. Hand, Nick's, Nick's hand is above the Ashby line. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's clarify here. Yes. <laughs> So anyway, they they go there. They 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 get the the going. And then what's funny is is that the the Kasaya people are are they're they just made a pot of rice and they're sitting around eating the rice. And then all of a sudden they see in the distance that Nick and Terry and Austin are battling in the boat. And they're like, "Oh, here it is. I guess this is the merge." And then as Aris basically points out, 
they all basically look at the big pot of rice they have, and they basically shove all the rice in their mouth so that they don't have to share any with Lamido when they get to the beach. Classic Kasaya. <laughs> I, I kind of wish that Kasaya had had the boat that had the bundles of wood in it, because you know they would have gotten on, and somebody would have said, oh, well, we're obviously supposed to light the wood, right? And they just would have completely lit their boat on fire because they thought that the wood was for them. <laughs> and to be fair here, you know, this is, this is one of those things that everyone remembers Exile Island as Kasaya just being dysfunctional and a disaster, but they're very good when they have to bond together. And this is one of those scenes where it's kind of one of those things why they're an underrated tribe, where you know, Shane sees all the Laminas coming and he pulls his tribe aside to make sure that we're all on the same page. So admittedly, as much as that is a dick move to do with the other tribe coming visually up to your beach and they all see you doing that, it is why Kasaya succeeds because when push comes to shove, they know to stay together and Shane is the one that kind of leads that. I was going to make the same observation. We have a scene later on in the episode as they're preparing for tribal council, and it's like the most functional group of survivors you've ever seen. It's crazy that it's Kasaya talking because you have Shane saying, hmm, you guys are bringing up some good points about Nick here, and they're going around the circle, each sharing their ideas. You would have thought this was, you know, Rotu or something, the love tribe. It's, yeah, they definitely can be functional when they need to be. It's basically, it's basically animal farm. <laughs> yes. But in a way, it's it, it, this is, again, if Survivor Panama Exile Island, Ag- Island of Exile, Shrunken Skulls, Voodoo is tell- teaching us anything, it's, it's how to play from ahead. And I said that about Aris before, because he's the ultimate how to play from ahead guy that keeps his tribe together. But not just him, but Shane and all the other people in this alliance, they, I think that that's good that they have this moment of solidarity. Because I think a lot of times people either don't have that moment or they just quickly say something and, you know, it's that, and then it comes into this prisoner's dilemma where everyone's like, oh, well, we all will do the right thing and stick together. But since they don't affirm it openly and publicly all with each other, they then don't think it's as solid. And I think the fact that they do these sort of solidifying things together really helps to keep them together. So then when the three guys hit the beach and then Sally comes in the exile Island car there and everyone says, Hey Sally, they open up the crate. They've merged. They have a flag, they have buffs and they have food. Yep. And the one thing I think a lot of people don't remember about the season is it's yes, it's six to four, it's six Kasayas and four Laminas, but Kasaya is very concerned about Bruce because they know he's on the out season, they're kind of their sixth, and they know he has a bond with Terry from starting on the same tribe. So there is a little, you know, uh, open-endedness about this merge. Will Bruce stay with us, or he, will he bolt over there thinking he might have a better deal? And what's funny is we're going to get a lot of this here where Terry is going to start explaining this to Bruce, and Terry is maybe the worst alliance offerer ever. Yeah. No. The, <laughs> the, the next little bit, you see a lot of other things. You talk about the the feast going on and what's funny is that you know they do talk about how everyone was sizing each other up but you know then you get nick who's just like everyone seemed to just really put the game aside and it's like oh nick why why are you even a contestant but then you you have this sort of stuff but you see again why aris is so good and shane is there as well but they're they're worried about bruce so what they do is they make Bruce, and whether Bruce believes it wholeheartedly or not is beside the point. They basically talk to Bruce and they're like, Bruce, you're, you're in charge, man. You, we'll do whatever you want. And the thing is, is that that's what Bruce sort of wants to hear. Bruce wants to you know, have people give deference to him and his wisdom and, and knowledge and stuff like that. So Bruce is just like, hey, I'll, I'll consult you guys about everything. And they're like, alright, Bruce, you do that. But Bruce, you're in the lead. And it's, it's just a good, subtle move from them to not just include Bruce, but it's not just 
Bruce, you're going to vote with us, right? It's Bruce, you're in charge. What's going on, Bruce? And, you know, it, it's a whole different perspective that keeps Bruce in check. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where I said at the start that I think RS tends to be very underrated as a player. But Shane is very underrated as a player because he really, when push comes to shove and it comes down to, you know, the moments that actually matter in Survivor, he's quite good at this stuff. Well, I think one of the things that actually works in Shane's favor in this game is something that we brought up that worked to his discredit at the beginning of Episode 6, which is that he is completely honest. He's never going to outright lie to anyone about anything. So if you're Bruce and you hear Shane say, like, oh, you're going to be making all the decisions, we're counting on you, and you know that Shane always tells the truth, you're led to believe, oh, that means that they really do value me. So Shane is actually a fun key part in this alliance because of his honesty. He's able to kind of keep people in the loop by just basically telling them what he thinks. Yeah. He's just not as much of a disaster as you think he would be if you haven't watched the season in a while. All right, so do we want to talk about Terry's ridiculous alliance offers since this is basically all the storyline we're going to get for the next two episodes? Well, yeah, it's, it's basically like Terry is sort of like Wiley e. Coyote here where he's just trying to try... We'll talk about it, but every episode he's going to try a different plan to bring a different two people in and it's never going to work at all. And therefore, why would someone come over? Like, the first one, he comes over to Bruce. He goes, you come over with us, Bruce, and we will go to the final five. And Bruce is like, oh my god, instead of being number six, I'll be number five. Thank god. It's just ridiculous how, how generous Terry thinks he's being. Like, I don't want to join five. Tell me we have a final two deal. Like, at least tell me that. Don't tell me we're in the five. That's ridiculous. No, what, gonna... Bruce, what Bruce wants is he wants to take the next two weeks off. Yeah, offer him that. That's <laughs> the thing. You know, when I was going through the Funny 115, I had a bunch of a little list that I wrote of moments that I would like to include if I have more time. <clears throat> and one of them was Terry's ridiculous alliance offers. And I kick myself every day that I didn't write that up as an entry because that would have been hilarious. Just They are so stupid when you watch Terry doing the exact same thing over and over and it never makes sense the way he phrases it. Other people can get things to flip because Bruce does say in a confessional that he does feel a little bit on the outside and he wants other people to come in. It's not necessarily... It's not that Bruce is so solidified in the six. Like, yes, Aris and Shane do a good job of trying to include him and stuff like that. But Shane and Sari are a little bit on the periphery of this six. If there was a more skilled player from Lamina that came over, I'm not saying that they could have necessarily swayed them over to their side and Lamina could take advantage. But Terry, I mean, this is all the subtlety of wearing a suit of armor in the in this in this situation. Like he just comes over and he's just like, hey, um, if you come over, then we'll have five, and we're good. Yeah. My four-person alliance is fantastic, no, then. No, no, you, you, you're, you're not really thinking about it right. If you come over and join our alliance, then you'll be in a majority alliance. <laughs> but I'm already in a majority alliance. Wait, you're that's not thinking you think. about this, Mario. Yeah, yeah, that's what you think. But if you join my alliance, then we'll have a majority alliance. Did you it's know just, we worked with an astronaut? Yeah. <laughs> It just kills me that Terry always bills it as I have four people that are solid. We're never going to bend. Want to join us? <laughs> it's like why would I do that? Yeah, it's like it's like first of all, you I'm already in a majority alliance. Second of all, you're basically saying, "Oh, so then there's no way for me to crack that four. But you can have 2 weeks off. You don't have to think about survivor. I'll give you 2 weeks off. I will it's vote you out for 9 days. It's terrible. I mean, I don't know if anyone from Kasaya could be swayed, but again, you, you try to paint it as you're on the outside, join us. We could, you know, go something and, hey, you know, I'm tight with this one person in here. Maybe we make, you know, we'll be a three and then, you know, we'll, we'll reevaluate it when we get there, make a final three, final two deal, you know, make those sort of inrolls. But Terry just does not 
I mean, he just comes in and says, hey, you want to join my alliance of four and us four? I mean, we are bros, let me tell you right now. And Sally. But, you know, we are, we are totally tight, but you could join us, and, and it would be cool. It's like, it is the worst pitch I have ever heard in my life. And that's the whole thing is everyone's like, ah, Terry's not so bad. Yes, he is. At Survivor at the social game, yes, he absolutely 100 Ultra Mega is bad at this game. Yes, I, again, I take back everything I said last episode. But yeah, that's the thing. And again, this is every scene for the next two episodes. This is all they have for substance in these next two episodes. And the problem is, is that he correctly identifies the people that he needs to go after. Like he first goes after Bruce, and I'm sure he did other people that we didn't see. But he, we see a scene where he goes after Bruce, and then he goes after Sari, right? And you think that those are the two people that maybe he could talk about. But he goes to Sari and says, "I have four. You could join us. We five. <laughs> and I mean, Sari just giggles. She's just yeah. like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> Well, then I like when he goes to Shane. That's one of the one in this episode. Like, Shane, come with us. I have four. You will be our fifth. And Shane's like, why would we want to join your tribe, homie? Like, homie. Yeah. Yeah, Shane, Shane doesn't even bother. But anyway. But then you see Good Survivor played by Shane, too, because at first he approaches Shane, and Shane just goes, that'd be something. You know, I mean, he, he doesn't <laughs> yeah. say no right off the bat. But the problem is, is that he tells Shane. Shane, of course, is never going to do this in his life. But instead of, you know, pulling him aside and talking about it, then they're like all around the fire, just people and him's like, hey, yeah. did you think you about the thing that we mentioned in front of yeah. everyone? <laughs> Terry, no, stop. What are you yeah. doing? Hey, you in our secret alliance, Shane? Yeah. All right. So we'll get back to that because we have plenty more. God knows there's enough Terry trying to wheel and deal scenes here. But first we have to get Bruce being hit in the face with a machete just because it it's is- something different. It is weird that at this point in Survivor, every six seasons, someone gets hit in the face with a machete. That's a weird tradition. <laughs> Nick felt so bad. He was in shock. He sliced my face open. I love that we get a, um, a black and white flashback replay action going on there. <laughs> that happened like five seconds ago. Yeah. Here's the Zapruder film. We can watch it in slow motion. Uh, but you know, right. they, didn't, they didn't pay attention to my boy Butch. And he said, you be careful. Those machetes, they are sharp. It's, it's, they it's can clear that kill ya. Dan, they didn't recognize, kill. Dan didn't recognize Dave Johnson, so it's clear that nobody watched Survivor Amazon <laughs> in this cast. All right. Uh, just because we're going to make fun of Bruce so much more, I have to give away. I have to give credit to his one cool thing here where they sit down and they make the banner for the new tribe, which is uh, Gitanos, I believe, which is mm-hmm. Gypsy. And Bruce paints the flag, and it's one of the mo- most kick-ass Survivor flags I've ever seen. I think it's really cool looking. And I think it's the only vertical Survivor flag as well. Yeah, it's cool. It's like a banner. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think he reminds us in this scene about how many years he'd been, he's been an art yes. teacher. 34 years. <laughs> but you how can many? See. <laughs> 34 years. <laughs> Got it. He does a great job on the flag, and it's, yeah, you know, Gitanos. I mean, if you're doing it right, you pronounce the G like an H, so it's Gitanos. But, you know, it's... It, it, it's really good, and it does actually sort of mean gypsies or Romanis in Spanish, so that is that is correct. Well done. It means Romans go home. <laughs> it means smashers. Yeah. <laughs> and Ruth Marie just sheds a tear. <laughs> Why well, well, she, 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 she wasn't there. <laughs> All right, and the, other, the other thing I wanted to point out in this scene is there is a little... Uh, you, you think there's not a lot of winter foreshadowing in the season, but there actually is one where Austin's talking to Aris, and Austin just kind of says, you know, Aris... You can get along with anybody. And it's just—it's the one little winner quote that Aris gets at this point in the season. It's very subtle, though. It's thrown in there real quick. All right. Is there anything else in this episode? I'm just going through my notes. 
Uh, blah, blah, blah. No, Terry sucks. Can... Terry sucks. Terry sucks. I, I, I do. I, I will say, you know, we, we point out Sari is a fantastic confessional and soundbite giver in general, but I do love her sort of, um, her sort of like, uh, anal- uh, an- analogy here where she says, you know, Terry's, I was talked about before, horrible offer to Sari is sort of like, she says, uh, she is, she already has an encyclopedia collection and Terry is offering her a dictionary. <laughs> yes, there you go. Sari, the MVP of the season. The, the, she has a way with the words. Which, again, is just a funny thing in time. Kids, we used to actually have encyclopedias as, like, book form. This was the thing. And dictionaries in book form. You know, the internet didn't exist. So they're, they're you know. I can't wait till those hit Montana. <laughs> <laughs> Which one, the book form or the internet? Which one? The, the book form encyclopedias. The, 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 pr- the printing press has not come to, to Montana yet. <laughs> yeah. What, Gutenberg hasn't drove his mule out there yet? Yeah, that guy is so lazy. Let me tell you. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, that's basically the end of this episode with Shane just saying, look, Terry, we have the numbers now, so no thank you. Oh, uh, a storyline that we have to talk about here is uh, Austin's brilliant plan during the immunity challenge. <laughs> oh, <laughs> boy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I so, love how much airtime this will end up getting for something that is completely irrelevant to anything. So, again, this is back to Jay Fisher loves incredibly brutal endurance challenges. And this one is a really brutal one, which shows you that, like, it only lasted, like, half an hour or so. They're learning from Survivor Palau, which is, you know, just be on a buoy for 14 hours. They basically do where they, they, they all have to, like, hang almost like they're being roasted from a spit. You know, they have to hang sort of uh, with their hands and legs or their arms and, and legs sort of wrapped around a pole and they're swinging on the underside of it. And it's just basically they're up there on, on a long pole and, and last as long as you can, which is brutal. And like Ceri's out in three minutes and then a couple people are out like three or four minutes later. And, and, it, and it basically just goes till the end. And somewhere in the middle, the, the funny bit is that Shane just basically says, hey, Jeff, are you bringing out food? And Jeff says, nope. And then all Kasaya basically jumps off at that point. Yes. I'm shocked that Ceri lasted three minutes, to be honest. <laughs> That's a that's a brutal challenge. It's really yeah, tough. A, so that's really tough. I thought I mean, Danielle would have done better though. I I do like meatballs on skewers, so I thought she would have stood a better chance. <laughs> that's because you're a meatball. So anyway, it gets down to uh, what it goes down to. Nick, Austin, and Terry, the the male Laminas, are basically on the left. Nick gets down. So basically, it's down to Austin and Terry at the end. No yeah. wrong. Back it up. Back it up. Yeah, you're wrong. Nope. Story and you're fired. You're out. I'm fired. Wait, no. Nope. It's down to Terry, Austin, and uh, and Nick, and Austin realizing I can't beat oh, yeah, yeah, this yeah. challenge. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to play it up like I'm way, way weaker. <laughs> oh, I'm going to yeah. act like yeah. I'm struggling, yeah. and I'm going to hop down out of the challenge, which ends up working because everyone else at camp afterwards thinks, oh, actually, Austin isn't that strong. Nick is, you know, he's much stronger than Austin. Maybe yep. we take out Nick before Austin. So. Mm-hmm. But then, <laughs> wait a minute. Wait, I, I, I point out, wait a minute. I gotta say, so Austin's idea of appearing weak and throwing the challenge is lasting twenty third. minutes. Yeah, yeah, coming into third. Yeah, it's it's it's, to- it's totally coach in that last in his last challenge in uh, in Token Sheens that you wrote about Mario, where he's like, "All oh, right, I'm supposed to appear weak. Ah, uh, my legs." <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, it's all bad. I, I, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. It was down to the three, and then oh Austin no, you're does the- you're done. You're fired. Yeah. You're gone. Bye. That's uh, that's fine. Douchey Paul, Douchey Paul is coming down. Yeah, on I know. Yeah. Right now, I set the expectation is that as a historian, you provide all facts accurately. You did not follow my expectations. Your consequence is that you're off of the show. Oh, well, I, I should have been off like several seasons ago because I get things wrong all the time. And I watched this episode 
today. So, you know, there, there there's that. But you're right. I, I forgot the whole Austin appearing week thing, which is freaking hilarious. But we, we, we do get down to Nick and, and Terry, but no one could be Terry ever. Terry's the man. He wins. Yep. I, I literally have no notes in this episode after that challenge. I wrote down nothing except for Nick's final words. Well, there's that, but it's the scene we, we can really just jump to Tribal Council because Mike pointed out the scene that's important, which is the scene where all of the Kasaya members get together and discuss who they want to vote out. And as Mike said, it's very, it's very structured. It's, yeah. it's very... Paul said this. Paul said this. What the hell, Jay? Do you two I'm need really... a timeout? Do you two need a timeout? Seriously. I'm really fired, aren't I? Yeah. I'm sorry, Mike Paul, whomever the third member of the historians is. <laughs> You're forgiven. Continue. <laughs> See, Mike, Mike forgives me, Paul. So screw you, buddy. I but, don't uh, yeah. forgive or forget. Oh, boy. Paul so anyway, uh, as, as, as Paul or Mike and probably Paul said, you know, it's, it's just a really good scene, but they, they, they are discussing who to vote out, and they were like, and I think Sari says, well, I see Nick is Terry, too, which, lol. But, you know, it's a reason. They're like, all right, let's vote out Nick. It doesn't really matter, but... You know, they try, they really try sort of a tribal council. They, they talk to Bruce, they talk to Suri, and they're just like, hey, you know, did you, did you think about, you know, moving over? And they're like, eh, I don't know. But then the vote comes at 6-4. Nick's out. See yeah, you later, but, Nick. But we, so we talk about, you know, it's usually on Survivor we see sort of these, these story arcs that play off over the course of several episodes. It's very rare that we get one that plays off over the course of about 20 minutes. And this happens yeah. with Austin uh, throwing the challenge where he feels like his game is sunk and he just flat out says at Tribal Council that he wanted to appear weak, which spares him this round. But as we find out next episode, he is public enemy number one behind <laughs> Terry. Yeah, he, well, he, gets the, he gets the little music when he reveals that at Tribal Council. <laughs> like, I tried to appear. I, try, I, I really could have lasted longer, but I jumped down, you know, try to be weak. <laughs> and then you see, like, Shane and Sari look over, like, whoa, mm, Austin. Well, it's funny when you look at that in the big picture, because it makes no difference. Austin would have been next anyway. It's funny how much they built. It's going to get a lot of play in the next episode, too. They keep bringing that up. I'm like, but he would have been next anyway. It makes no difference. You know what they had to work with strategy-wise, Mario? You've said what we have to hear from Terry for the next three episodes. That's all they had. Yeah, it's terrible. It's, you know, the storyline of this season, if you look at it just on paper... This is one of the most boring, predictable seasons ever because it's absolutely every vote is predictable now from here on out other than, you know, Bruce's butt exploding. But it, that's the thing. When people say what makes a Survivor season great, is it the game itself or is it the it's characters? the people. Yeah, this, this is such a ridiculously boring season if you look at it on paper. And the only reason they salvage it is because the characters are so fun the last four or five episodes. Yeah, yeah. There, there, uh, there have been. A, I mean, there have obviously been a lot of pagongings over the course of Survivor series thus far. But I think what separates, in my opinion, what separates this pagonging from something like you know uh, something like Redemption Island or South Pacific are the characters. Even even though we will get into a couple boring episodes coming up, we do have some Kasai antics to at least keep us mildly entertained. In my opinion, yeah. the Kasai <laughs> antics are good, and and the pagonging is boring here in the sense that not because it's a pagonging. Pagongings don't have to be boring. The problem is is that it's Lamina getting pagonged, and yeah. Lamina sucks. Can you imagine if they won this season? I mean, what a horrible season this would have been. It would have been so brutal, because it's brutal as it is, just in the middle, and that's because we have to spend 20 minutes per episode on Lamina, because we have to at least talk to them before they get voted out. I mean, can you imagine if they were taking up the bulk of every episode? It would have been intolerable. All right, so yeah, so we lose Nick, who 
I swear to God, 99% of Survivor fans would not remember ever was a Survivor unless they yeah. heard this episode. And then he goes out with the most inspirational final words that he pulls completely out of his butt, unlike Bruce. But yeah, who wants to, uh, I think, Mike, you wanted to delve into the heroic message that Nick had for the youth of America. Yeah, so let's, so I'll, I, have, I have it quoted, so I'll just, I'll just read it here. And if someone wants to insert inspirational music, I don't know, Wind Beneath My Wings or something in the background, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll have that play. But he says, all you kids that are in your, their mid-20s and in my situation and are not sure which direction life is pulling you, you are just trying to find yourself. I urge us all, please, be hungry and foolish. Find yourself. Be who you potentially are and be true to your dreams and what you really want to do. If we all maximize that personal freedom, we will change the world. And that man became Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> he did. Can you imagine like some kid's life actually was affected by those final words? Like someday he becomes president. And they're like, wow, what inspired you in your life? And he's like, there was this guy, a middle tier boot on Survivor that told me to do this. <laughs> he told me to be foolish name. and hungry. <laughs> God, that was that was really well recited, Paul. That was awesome. That was aww. Aw. Oh wait, that was Mike. <laughs> Sorry, Paul. You just got fissured. Boo, 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 boo. All right. So yeah. So we lose Nick with those random final words that come completely out of his butt because he said nothing like that at any point during the episode. So, so I don't know where so, that came so, from. So is Nick just the next incarnation of Stephanie Dill? Like, man, <laughs> where was that the whole season? Yeah, I know. Kiss my fish. They cut out that part at the end. <laughs> well, he does. He does. He does throw his stinky socks to Sari on the way out. So she, you know his memory lives on. <laughs> he does. <clears throat> All right. So yeah. So we lose neck and oh, good. We have another Lamina episode coming up. Woohoo! And we're starting to get more and more time focused around the hidden immunity idol. It's almost like a a forecast for what's to come for the next fifteen plus seasons. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I will say what I noticed watching the string of we're going to talk about now is that there are a lot of things that kind of lay the groundwork for stuff that's going to happen later on in this kind of new era of Survivor that we touched on last episode. And one of those things is with the with the hidden immunity idol. And when you go back and you watch this episode, you kind of you laugh about some of the stuff they talk about by saying like, well, actually, you know, if if we vote for the person who has the idol and whoever that person votes for, maybe it wouldn't be such a bad thing if that works out and he can take out, you know, someone else, whoever has the second most votes. You see these very basic, you know, strategic um, um, plans that we think about that's common knowledge. Now you really see them form early on in these episodes. And and I'll say this now before I forget, because um, we'll probably get to this episode pretty quickly because it's a Lamina episode. Um, I was watching the exit interview with Austin after this episode and the secret scene they show, or which why I didn't bring this up earlier. The secret scenes they've been showing for these Lamina members are literally the most boring things ever. <laughs> I was watching it with my wife and we were watching it. Um, the Dan secret scene is literally like, okay, let's take a look at the secret scene that got cut from the show last night. It's Dan saying, Oh, I'm so weak. You know, it just, uh, just the smallest things like walking around just make you tired. And then he goes and he lies down on the bamboo. And but he Alice, says it very heroically, right? Right. And Alice, my, my, Alice, my wife goes, oh, why'd they cut that? <laughs> so they're just like these idiotic seeds. But the most, the most interesting one, though, was uh, from Austin from this episode because he actually, he pulled up the, wait, what was that on the very first challenge of Exile Island? What were they looking for, Jay? That, that started with an A and Ru- Ruth Marie wasn't a smasher, but they were looking for something. 
and they, they only the, said it was it. the amulet fault. Oh, the amulet, amulet, amulet. Yes, Austin had an amulet from that first challenge that he tied to a stick. He ties around it to try to make a fake uh, hidden immunity idol that doesn't make the show. Um, so I think some of these things that Wait, we're going to so talk he, about. He created the original fucking the, stick? Yes, oh. he, it was a stick with an amulet wrapped around it. Now, he eventually doesn't use it because he said it was, would go against his, you know, his, his mantra of being really you know, full Boring. of integrity and honesty, so he doesn't do it. But the original um, fake immunity idol is actually made by Austin. Who knew? Wow. His, his mantra of, of honesty and integrity, which includes half sandbagging a challenge and then <laughs> trying to pass it off and then immediately telling everyone about it. Right. Yeah. yeah. Way to go, Austin. Um, it, it goes against his mantra of being boring and uninteresting. <laughs> exactly. As, as Marvin Gaye said, let's, let's be boring. <laughs> yes. All right. So we're getting into this Austin episode. We start, you know, Nick's gone, blah, blah. No one cares. And uh, everyone says, oh, Austin's a slime ball. He was lying about sandbagging that challenge. Oh, no, let's, we don't like Austin now, even though he would have been next anyway. So anyway, yeah. now we go to the reward challenge. This is the coconuts in the boat challenge. Which, which sets up in the future, if everyone's paying attention, this is the thing. Terry's going to win immunity. Terry's going to win immunity almost all the time. So just when, when you're watching this thing, just go, Terry's going to win immunity. But the thing is, is that they're going to they're gonna bring up that they want to vote Terry out, but they can't vote Terry out. So you have to figure out who's going to go home and it's not Terry. And so you have this scene with RS and them at the beginning where they're like, boy, that Austin, what a guy. And you're like, well, Austin, GG, buddy. Well, I love the scene when Aris makes the comment about the slimy, whatever they have, snails, that these are like yeah. the Lamina members that are slimy and hard to get hard to get rid of or get out or something. And then Courtney goes, oh, Aris, cutthroat. I'm like, Whoa. he's like, no, they're the ones that are cutthroat. Like, Courtney, do you know what that means, cutthroat? Like, that doesn't make sense, Courtney. My apartment's not shitty. <laughs> We're not Don't get there so defensive, yet, Okay. Okay. Yeah, so the reward challenge with the coconuts in the boat. People run and dump coconuts in the boat, and it's all political based on which tribe you're going to pick on. And basically, it's a two tribe. Is there anything you guys want to talk about this challenge? I was just going to go right into it. I Wednesday. mean, uh, it's 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 a rare three versus three versus three challenge. Which we the only other one that I can really think of off the top of my head is the uh, the one from Token Chains, which is the coach I have infamous challenge uh but we, it's rare that we do this but um i mean basically the way you would think this brings some sort of like coconut chop-esque intrigue political intrigue into this but really because there's one team of all athletic men in shane terry and austin they really become the immediate targets right off the bat so it's really like there's there's not much bad blood that's spewed because there's one tribe that is gonna is dominant in the challenge they just decide to sandbag that one and, and you see RS basically tell Danielle at some point, just, hey, we're not putting in yours, just put it all into Terry's boat. And, it, you know, it, it just shows again that RS is thinking and he's smarter than, you know, people people have there. But as Suri points out later, this is really, one thing that's great about RS is that RS is a very, hey man, together, we, we're a tribe, we're a thing. But there are times where you need to have that killer instinct, I think, to really go far and win in Survivor. And there are times where RS displays it. And this is one of those where he is, he's, he's showing sort of a communal thing, but really this is, RS knows that the Danielle Suri team is like super hopeless in this challenge. And so, or no, Sari, uh, the, the Danielle team is like super hopeless in, in this challenge. And so RS is like, yeah, we're not going to put it into your boats. Put it all into Terry's boats. But ours is like, if we just hamper Terry, we'll win and not Terry. Yeah. And totally, Danielle's team totally is going to win. So even though it's this sort of, hey, let's work together to get out Terry, this ours is basically saying, hey, do this so that I'll win. 
It's a good point. Yeah, so anyway, the winning tribe in this challenge is the team of Bruce, Sally, and Aris. Yep. And mm-hmm. then uh, the reward on this one is they get to go out. It's like a, a bed and breakfast thing. They get to sleep in a bed on the beach and get food <laughs> and stuff. And yeah, they, they, often times like, are- Oftentimes, Survivor does not outright say how shitty some of the rewards are. This is one of the rare times where they they let the, the castaways actually say on air, like, "Yeah, this was a pretty shitty reward." <laughs> so, this people who haven't—I was going to—people who haven't watched this episode before or in a while, there's a bed out on the beach with a lace canopy over the top, and it's just where they're going to go sleep and get a nice, rela- relaxing night. But it's been raining all day, so they get there. The bed is completely soaked. All the rain has come through the can, the canopy, and everything. The sheets are soaked. There's nothing relaxing about this. And this is their reward. They get to go lay in a wet bed overnight. Like, they don't have a plan B. Like, even back in Borneo, we were able to throw Kelly Wiggles on a boat and drive her around and go to a bar and, and have spaghetti and beer. They can't, like, put a bed somewhere else. Like, they can't go to the village and do this. Like, I just well, love that they make them sit on the soaked bed. Yeah, you, know, you, you can sort of see the, the backstage thing there because they have several confessionals about how, like, you know, they're like a kid at Christmas. They can't wait for the boat to come. And it's like they have several confessionals about how they're really waiting for this boat to get here. And, you know, you can when you look at it the first time, I think you're, you're thinking along the lines of, oh, well, they're just excited to, to, to be on the reward. So they just are, can't contain their excitement. But really, I think the boat got delayed because they were like, oh, uh, the weather's bad and everything's soaked. What do we do? Uh, do we have a plan B? No. <laughs> okay, just pick them up. We'll just we'll just make the best of it. And I really think that the boat got delayed in some way, probably because they were trying to figure out if they were actually going to put them to the rain-soaked uh, canopy bed and just have it there, or if they were going to try to you know a punt and do something else. I like to think that Mark Burnett was so upset that they voted out the astronaut that he left the franchise, and they had no one to make this decision now. Well, my question is this. What do you think is shittier, that bed or Courtney's apartment? <laughs> I think that bed is in Courtney's apartment. <laughs> oh, you guys throwing out this bed? All right, I'll just, can I, can I, can I put it in my apartment? That would have been like, really awkward if Courtney wins a reward and she's like, what's my bed doing here? Man? <laughs> I'm going to go home and murder you on your soggy bed. That's not soggy. <laughs> Perfect. But anyway, as, as Sally says... Uh, they they get to the bed and I mean the be- the bed's a disaster but they come with all the food and it's you know they come with pastries and then coffee and then bacon and Bruce says it's food fit fit for royalty and I'm like I didn't know that you know common pastries were royalty food but you know what do I know right like I didn't know that toast with butter and jam was like you know what kings and queens eat but I've been studying breakfast foods at the aristocracy for thirty years <laughs> is he Mayor Quimby all of a sudden <laughs> I uh, I. Uh... <laughs> Bruce with a Boston accent. <laughs> but anyway, Sally does say, I mean, you know, food cures all in the sense. So then they they eat a lot of food and Sally's like, oh, the reward turned out to be pretty good because I basically ate my weight in food, which is good. Yeah, Bruce is like, I had so much food that can't possibly come back and hurt me. Yeah, I feel like so, they, I, if only they had like a camera or some sort of like visual illustration of just the <laughs> amount of crap that's piling up within Bruce with every reward he goes on. A little Bruce meter off to the side. Somebody yeah. can digitally insert that on the special edition of the, the DVD. You, you can't, 
you have to feel bad when you watch this because you know what happens to Bruce, and so you know that basically from the Panamanian village on, Bruce isn't isn't crapping, and so everything he eats is just making it worse. And so like he goes, you know, they're talking about this, and Bruce is just like, oh, I ate all this bacon and all oh, these food is for royalty, and I'm like, oh, Bruce, <laughs> Bruce, this 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 isn't gonna end well, buddy. <laughs> There's a very, a very underrated scene here that, you know, this, this is one of the worst episodes I've ever seen, but there's a, a moment that I actually laughed where they come back and, you know, they're all talking to, to the other members of, the, of Gitanos about all the food they ate and how they just couldn't eat anymore. And Shane's like, these are quality problems. I couldn't, I couldn't eat any more bacon because there was too much. <laughs> I love that quote. Yeah, Shane's the right. best. <laughs> other than that, this whole episode sucks. Then we get a rub of Sally's tummy. It's full of bacon. <laughs> oh, yeah. There's one more. A, a good, a good uh, Bruce reference here where Terry finally pulls Sally aside once they go back to camp. And he mentions that he has the idol. And what does Sally say? I just about pooped my pants. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Bruce, did you hear that? <laughs> I pooped my pants. <laughs> if you listen really closely, you can hear Bruce in the background going, uh. <laughs> <laughs> Well, then she she says, I almost pooped my pants. And she tells him, I was digging so many holes on Exile Island. I said, why don't you keep your poop in the holes, Sally, and not in your pants? <laughs> what if Bruce went to Exile Island and all he, dig up, all he dug up was poop? <laughs> why are you taunting me, God? <laughs> well, I mean, according to the storyline, Bruce is physically in pain already at this point. Because they say later he's been in pain for like 10 to 14 days. Yep. I mean, oh, wow. at this yeah. point, he's probably just got, you know, uh, the the occasional ping, you know, stomach pang or something like that. And it's just, you know, I, I guess that's just normal. I'm starving. I'm out on an island sort of stuff. So I'm sure at this point it's just, oh, I'm a little bit hurt, but but it'll probably pass or something like that. But it's not going to be for a few days that it's going to start to ramp up. But yeah. uh, I, I don't think there's much. Terry just, you know, is trying to get people over there and Terry's horrible. And then we get to an immunity challenge, which is... Um, do, Do we, we want to talk, talk a little it? bit about about Austin and Danielle on Exile Island, I'll, just briefly, just because they're they almost die out there. Austin Maybe. and Danielle are on Exile Island. It rains all the time. They can't do anything. They huddle in a tree for warmth. It isn't, uh, even though they're both young and fairly attractive, it isn't very sexual. And they both are like, "Wow, we really went through something there," which is like the worst pre-coach going to Exile Island <laughs> ever. And every time they show a lightning strike, it's actually a shot from Survivor of the Australian Outback. Really? Yes, watch it carefully. They, they, every time this season, they show this lightning, uh, lightning strike, and they do it uh, in this episode two times at least. They'll show a quick shot of lightning, and if you look very carefully, it's the same shot they use all the time in the Australian Outback. You can tell they don't even look like trees in Panama. You can clearly see it's the wooded area of uh, Australia, but it's this like really badass shot of lightning, I guess. So they were never able to get a better shot of that in 12 seasons. So, And that is why we have Paul on the show, ladies and gentlemen. On no other podcast will you get historical information like that. I had never noticed that before. It'll nice job, change Paul. the way you watch this season. <laughs> it will. Although when you say exile island scenes in the season and pay attention carefully those two phrases don't really go together with me i've never paid attention that close so anyway we get to the immunity challenge and uh i must say for as for as boring as this episode is and it's boring this is a pretty cool immunity challenge as far as just they they really built something here yeah one thing you can say about the challenges on this season at least is like even in the challenge in episode six, which is pretty rudimentary of like run out onto the course, bring a puzzle piece back, they build out these courses pretty far out. You know, it's it's not like I feel like in a, in a lot of uh, later seasons, it's, everything takes place usually in the same square, like fifty feet 
you know, uh, yep. is, is foot of foot of land. This they they build this huge course in episode six. Here they build this giant obstacle course, and it's humongous. In the next couple of episodes, they're going to have all these different, all their land challenges are going to have these huge, uh, the art department's going to come in and really, really do their work here. So I'm happy that even even in like these middle experimental seasons of Survivor, they're still going to put a lot of effort into making these challenge courses look different every time. And well, it gets more probably, and more. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, they probably say, figured Dan would still be there. They wanted Dan to get only the very best challenges. <laughs> That's, well, yeah. I mean, I salute him. But uh Basically, and it gets more and more impressive because it goes on. Because basically, it's one of these challenges where it's got multiple legs, and then the first couple of people that finish each leg go on to the next leg. And the first one is they have to basically dig themselves under a wooden fence and get to the other side. And uh, this leg, uh, Aris, comically in this leg, if, as they run it, he's the first one that starts, you know, he digs himself a hole, and then he tries to get underneath, and he gets himself stuck. So then he's trying to dig himself out from under there and he doesn't uh make it and so all the other people move on and rs gets eliminated he was the first person to go underneath haha lol rs the second one is a brain teaser and then after they do a brain teaser they need to like go through one of those like net mazes that goes up and down and around that are kind of cool so that's a pretty cool structure and then uh the first three to finish that and i think it's uh it's sally and uh terry and whom else uh finishes next Uh, Austin. austin yep so it's Austin, Tally, uh, Sally, and Terry that finish. And then the next part is going across a rope bridge with two planks, which we've sort of seen before. And then they need to climb up a stand bank, and that's really cool looking. And then the final round, which uh, uh, Sally and, and Terry move on to, is basically a race through like this gigantic like wooden tunnel maze thing that's like horizontal and vertical, like goes up and down. It's one of the more impressive structures I've seen. In a while, and I mean, it, it, that's the final leg of the challenge. Only two people get to run. It's it's an incredibly looking, incredible looking os- obstacle course. Uh, but Terry wins. And the yeah. last task you must do is to complete a somersault as you cross yes. the finish. <laughs> Otherwise, your win is not valid. <laughs> what a, Null and what, void. Yes. What a showboater. Yeah. So Terry wins. Terry oh, wins. No, he wins. Yes, he wins. He, Thank you. I like Mario's summary of that better. Terry, Terry wins. He wins the immunity Terry beard. And uh, it's like a bib. It's like a beard bib. Yeah, it's, I, I thought it was like a giant earring, basically. <laughs> uh, so he beats, he beats Sally in the, in the immunity challenge. So basically, Kasaya's got to have their little powwow because, oh, we can't vote out Terry. Yeah, this is one of those where they spend a lot of fake, uh, fake suspense over where, whether... Uh, whether Terry is going to give Danielle the the the, the necklace, or what is he give something to Sally? If anything's going to change, and of course nothing's going to change. We're going to have the exact same boring outcome as the last episode. And this, I hate this again, episode. Again, they they have they have like a little false drama here because earlier on Terry is you know quote unquote shooting the shit with Shane and basically says, hey, what do you think the final four would be? And Shane is not budging, and he's just like, look, man, whatever. I'm not telling you anything. And then Ch- Terry's just like, come on, man, I'm not going to hold this against you. I'm just I'm just shooting things out. What's going on? And then Shane basically says, like, oh, yeah, you know, I guess maybe me, Aris, and uh, Sari, and, and, uh, uh, and uh, the other one, uh, Courtney, were, are the, we're the, we're the, that, that'd be a good bet on the four. I don't know. The other thing I'll bring up is something that I was touching on earlier about how um, kind of some more advanced strategy that we see in later seasons kind of comes up here, where you have the girls saying, okay, uh, you know, we obviously want to vote out Austin, and 
Aris and saying, no, let's put up Sally. Sally's not going to have the idol if Terry's going to be in his idol to someone. And they're like, no, no, we don't want to do that. And Aris thinks, well, if they're going to do that, then, you know, they must not really be caring about me or Shane because Shane or I, we're going to be the ones that are going to get the votes. Um, and so it's interesting to see that, that kind of strategy happen for, for the first time uh, with this idol. Um, and it was right on both sides. The girls clearly wouldn't be that sad if Aris got out right now. Because as Courtney says, um, you know, Aris has to go sometime. So, I mean, if it happened now, it happens now. Yeah, Aris shows, all, I think even in, early in this episode, which we kind of glanced over, where he has this confessional where he realizes, like, oh, maybe I shouldn't have won the challenge, reward challenge, A, because it kind of shows my athleticism, and B, because I was, he basically makes the decision to send Austin and Danielle to Exile Island. So I think if there's one thing we can kind of glean from Aris's game is that he's very self-aware, and he knows that, like, even if he, he makes the mistakes, he's going to look back at it and say, okay, that was a clear mistake. Whereas if you look at some of the other people he's playing with on this season, they might not realize that it was a mistake they made until much too late. Yep. And I think it needs to be said here as well, just the way that apparently how this idol works is that it it doesn't seem like you can, in, in future seasons now, obviously the idol is, you have to play it before the votes are read. Whereas this idol in Exile Island, again, you play it after the votes have been read. But, in modern seasons with an idol, if you you can stand up and play the idol for someone else. Like if if Terry has the idol, he could stand up and say, "I'm going to play it for Sally." But it seems like that's not the case because it's it's after the votes. You literally have to have it in your possession as the votes are being read. So that's that's the whole difference here. If you, if you're looking back and wondering why these idol conversations seem a little weird, it's just because the idol's a little different at this point. Is this the Tyler Perry idol before Tyler Perry invented it? Yep. Yeah, that's what I thought. All right, so anyway, Austin is voting. See you later, Austin. See you later, Austin. We have we have some fun stuff coming up. We have to talk about Shane's penis chafing. Well, I, I will say, the just speaking into the disparity of the personalities and the Kasai outlines, I was looking at the uh, the voting confessionals, or at least what people said in the voting confessionals when they were voting out Austin. And just to look at the spectrum here, Courtney calls Austin a beautiful man, while Shane calls Austin a creepy Christian. <laughs> so I think it's just the, the full gamut there of opinions on Austin. That's good. What does Bruce call him? Bruce, Bruce's vote is just dot, 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 and a, a sad face with him in the corner with, yeah. a, poop, with a poop picture of poop with an X over it. Is <laughs> the uh, confessionalist. Austin, I'm voting for you because I heard you, uh, you went to the bathroom, and uh, I can't go to the bathroom. I, I, I just can't have that. Please help me, God. <laughs> All right. So episode 10, we finally got rid of the pagonging. Terry would be next. And uh, here we go. We're going to go. And this is a, there's actually some fun stuff in this episode. We're going to get back into the swing of this season. Um, we start with episode 10 with, you know, Austin's voted out. And it starts with Terry just sitting around the camp telling people about his, his flight school stories, about being a Navy uh, fighter pilot. And this is, this is one of those... You know, you mentioned earlier that we thought that uh, Mark Burnett was feeding lines for people to say to talk about Dan. Here's another one where Courtney says, no normal American, how, or how is any normal American supposed to beat a Navy fighter pilot? It's one of those, this, I know Mark Burnett must have been feeding her those lines. Say that, say that out loud, because that doesn't sound like something Courtney would say. Yep. This, this episode focuses a bit on Sally, just because this is Sally's boot episode, but the more I look at this, the more I was thinking Sally might be the most normal person to have ever played Survivor. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll, we'll get to this later on with the, the videos, this video snippet. But the one thing I noticed is that, like, the biggest 
we could pick out a lot of different things about other people's videos this season, but the one thing from Sally's video was that her sister got a new apartment. And that yeah. was the only thing you could <laughs> glean from Sally's video. That's how boring she is. And, yeah, and Sally didn't even know. And Jeff tries to sell that. Whoa, your sister got a new apartment? <laughs> apparently. She's like, apparently, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the thing. is that it, Sally isn't a bad person. I wouldn't even say Sally's a boring person. Sally is just a person. But the yeah. problem is, is that on TV, you have all these personalities. Like even Sari, who is, uh, I'm Sari, I'm just like you. Sari is so entertaining, right? Like she just is just infinitely entertaining when you get a camera on her in a confessional and she just sort of comes to life. Whereas Sally is just, Hello, my name is Sally. I am a person. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. She, she just seems like an absolutely, she's probably an incredible person in real life, but she just is very normal. And the problem is, is that on Survivor, even though they say, these are 16 people from all walks of life, they are of a certain type and of a certain sort of level. And Sally is not quite there. And I wouldn't even say she sort of duds out on TV. It just seems like she's like the most normal person to ever play Survivor. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. There's really nothing good or bad to say about her. She's just Sally. The only thing they could say in her ex interview on the early show was Harry Smith, the, uh, the anchor, says, and so you actually weigh 30 pounds more now than you did on the island? <laughs> She's like, yep. Thank you for telling America I'm 30 pounds heavier than what you <laughs> yeah. saw on TV. Like she gives confessionals, and like they're not bad. She, she makes good points. She doesn't make, like, incredible points, and she doesn't make entertaining points. She, it seems like she understands what's going on and everything that's going out there. It's just it, literally when it's like, what if you take a normal person and put in the Survivor? They'd be Sally. Yeah, I was going to say she reminds me a lot of Candace the next season. Mm-hmm. Paul, did it, when they showed Sally's uh, secret scene, was it just a replay of the dance scene? <laughs> um, you know, it was so weak. boring that it must have been just about as, uh, as interesting. I honestly don't even remember what the hell they showed for her. <laughs> I'm so weak, I should just lay down, and my sister got a new apartment. So basically, a lot of the strategy here, and we'll gloss over this because we're going to get doing it, basically Sally and Terry are the last Laminas, and they get into sort of, as Paul is talking about, sort of more advanced strategy going on, where Terry is figuring out, do I use the idol on, on Sally and get someone over, or do I just keep it for myself? And I think the correct move is really played here, but this is just Sally and Terry going, we're by ourselves, and since Terry wins immunity... Sally is very vulnerable. But we get to the reward challenge, and the reward challenge is kind of fun. They have to suspend someone, and they have to like, go grab flags, and the other people have to, like, maneuver them with ropes and pulley system to, like, get them to get a flag and put it in a slot, and they, they win the teams. But what's awesome about this challenge is that they're playing for videos from home and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and apparently the video and the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches is so boring, they don't even show the winners enjoying those. But oh, we, yeah. do get good, we get good reactions from the clips, the snippets going in. Yeah. Although, right before we get to the challenge, I just wanted to point out, Terry starts to get a really big winner edit right here. Like, he's going to be the winner. Yeah, well, he well he basically kind of has these confessionals at the beginning of the episode that basically says, screw this, I'm going to go kamikaze, and this is where, in addition to his, his fighter pilot talk, he basically says, like, well, if I'm not on your plans, I'm just going to take you guys to town. And yep. uh, looking back on it, it's a little cocky, but again, if he has this big American hero edit like he did at the time, everyone was like, you know, especially... If, if the spoilers were out at the time that someone was going to win like seven immunity challenges in a row, so everyone was just watching Terry in awe at this point. Yeah, and if you watch the episode, all the clues are there. Like Terry's, I'm going to beat them all, and the girls are saying we're never going to be able to get Terry out. And Shane says, you know, brother, if you win every immunity and win this game, I will drive you to the bank. 
I mean, there's just all these hints that Terry's going to win. That's kind of the entire storyline the rest of the season. So There is that, but I, I, I always looked at those scenes as sort of that, that thing, the scene of, well, Terry has put himself in a situation where he has destroyed himself socially. And because he's, for better or for worse, he's probably going to be the last Lamina member left. And I think that being the last member of a, of a tribe is being in a good social situation. But Terry has torpedoed his social situation. And he's now then put everyone on notice and says, well, I'm just going to win all the immunities and get to the end and I, I'm going to win. And the thing is, is that that's his strategy. That's a terrible strategy. But obviously, Terry gets very close to pulling this off. And he's got the Tyler Perry idol in his in his pocket that he can sort of uh, finagle with. So he's got a free vote or a free vote off, basically like a, a one get out of jail free card. But by the same token, you know, you look at that and go, well, Terry's getting a winner at it because he's basically saying, I'm going to torch you guys and win all the challenges. But then you look back and you're like, really, that's your strategy, Terry. Like <laughs> that's, that's ultimately what you've come up with. Well, I'm just going to beat you all. But yeah, that's all he had left. Yep. All right. So we, like you said, we get to the reward challenge and, this is where they get little snippets of videos from home, and there's some really cool little character moments here where they get to see the video, and then the winner's going to get to see their full video. So what do we get? We have Terry in there. He gets to see his wife and his kids. Ter- Terry's very American family of, you know, wife and 2.5 children and dog. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a lot of people have their dogs in the video. I, I don't remember that being a big thing, or at least when, when Jeff used to announce who was on the videos, he never usually mentioned that the dog was there. Yeah. Well, then we have Danielle come out, and Danielle's mom not only has the dog, but they have the dog in a little sweater. Well, I also noticed that on Danielle's video, like they they cut part of it cuts to like her sister, and they just her sister's at the dinner table eating. And <laughs> yeah. I can only imagine like this was someone like okay, just, we should just get this really quick because like, I'm I'm eating here. Do I really need to do this? <laughs> <laughs> like, why did they decide? Okay, now is the time to film the sister giving this this sort of message to her is when she's eating dinner. Yep, and then so we get got Bruce with his dog Chaco. Yep, <laughs> Bruce's family, and you know, Bruce has a good quip here. I actually think where he, you know, he says, you, "You think your wife's doing okay without you?" And he's like, "Well, she probably, you know, is the, you know, is missing all my snoring." Like I thought that was a pretty good little Bruce moment, and they all laugh. And then uh, we get Sally with their sister in her new apartment. <laughs> well, Sally's family all has hats too, so they're the hat family apparently. They're the hat men. I like hats, yeah. but then you know, Sally's got the hats, and Sally, your sister has a new apartment, apparently. Zing. Awesome. Wait, Sally with zing. the one-liners. Yeah, zing. And then we get. I really Courtney, wish right? we. I really, I really wish we could have seen him win the reward and get a tour of the apartment. But as well, it's a studio, so this is it. I want to see apartment. how does it how does it compare with the you know the the level of apartment shittiness that we set in this <laughs> this season. That's where Survivor has gone from Greg Buis having sex with his own sister all the way up to Sally's sister showing off her new apartment. Yeah. We we get it. We get a weird brief one with Aris and his father, and like you know, he's got a teepee, and Jeff's like, "What the hell's with the teepee, Aris?" And Aris like, "Dad wanted a teepee, so we got him one." And I was like, "That's a really boring quip." To holy shit, there's a teepee in your yard. Like there should be a story involved with that. Then we get Courtney with her mom with the weird little love signs. Yeah, the weird thing to me about the love signs is that one of them is air quotes, and I'm always wondering if in Courtney's warped perspective if someone does the sarcastic air quotes to her in real life just on the street if she thinks that like they've they've made a connection and now they've fallen in love <laughs> knowing courtney i bet she does know that or does think that yes that's just so sincere i love you with air quotes <laughs> she's listening to the podcast right now and she's just suddenly horrified all the people that don't really love her that she thinks do <laughs> i've been lied to my whole I know. life sorry courtney if you're listening 
We get we get Ceri's family, and uh, you know we get Ceri with HB. HB is the man, and then we get uh, uh, you know Ceri just you know crying and giggling and laughing and just all this sort of stuff. And I like the fact that they're like we miss your laugh and smile because it's like Ceri giggles. Yeah. We, we've we, we've uh, established this, and it's good. And then we get um, uh, is that everybody? Shane, well, we got Boston. Shane, Shane, yeah, Boston. The end. Oh yeah, this is the one where Shane you know started, he immediately breaks down and he tells Jeff you know we we grew up together. You know, I was 19 or 20 when I had him, and we grew up, and he says, you know, he's my best friend, he's my son, he's my... He names a bunch of things, and if you listen at the very end, I swear it sounds like he is my wife. And I'm like, that's really weird. He's like, they're like the male Gilmore girls, basically. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, it's a very sweet scene, but that, that last line, if you look, listen very carefully, I swear that's exactly what he says, he is my wife. Now I want to watch a Gilmore Girls spinoff of the exact same town of Stars Hollow, but with Shane instead. <laughs> Where they just like yell and smoke, like Shane is smoking cigarettes and, you know, just. Wandering around with it with his shorts pulled down so far that his crotch is blurred out all the time. <laughs> uh, all so right, anyway, yeah. they, they run the challenge and uh, Bruce, Courtney, Sally and Terry win. But again, like I said, I don't think they even cut to the videos. Like they just were like, they won. And then yeah. the more interesting stuff was 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 back at camp. They choose RS to go to Exile oh, wait a minute, Island. Wait a minute. Let's not gloss over this challenge. This is a fun challenge. I guess. I mean, it's just it's, it's just it's very lighthearted. Yeah, I was watching it. I'm like, this certainly is a unique challenge I wrote down in my notes. So I've never seen a challenge quite like this. And it's kind of fun to watch. And the only reason I comment on that is because the last two episodes were so not fun that it's a, just a bright little moment of levity that kind of brought the season back. The season kind of kicks back into gear, starting with this challenge, in my opinion. I, I disagree, and I'll tell you why I disagree. I disagree with it because, again, the, a bunch of rules comes into place where they're sort of neck and neck for a while in this challenge. And then, um, then they have the thing where Aris inadvertently like knocks one of the flags out of its pole, but then Jeff is like, "No, you can't go forward. You have to go then get the flag and put it back in the hole." And then Aris like they knock the flags out of the poles. Danielle's team knocks the flag out of the poles a couple times, and it basically just derails them the whole time. And yeah. so I guess I don't really like the challenge because yeah, it's unique and fun that they have to pull them on the pulleys and go get the flags, but it just sort of became a route. And then when Jeff is sort of trying to be a stickler about some weird rules about flags and pegs, it, it just became like, oh boy, this is not great. So All right, we well, lost not not by a you know not that a team that's better. They lost by a bunch of rules. <laughs> All right, well, at least I can entice you by the fact that at the end of the challenge, when they win, everybody celebrates by letting go, and Courtney goes slingshotting backwards. Yeah. Hey, <laughs> that was worth. That it. was that was good. That was fantastic. Oh yeah, so they win. Yeah, so it's. Uh, Courtney, Bruce, Sally, and Terry win. And like you said, there's not a single moment of footage from their reward. They just completely gloss over it. It's, it's funny. It's one of those things we're just going to hear about the reward later. Like the cutout, the, the, the fade out to commercial is like them celebrating with the music. And then you see like a slow-mo of like the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and milk. And then they, you see them like start pouring the milk and it just goes to challenge. And you're like, well, I guess they had fun. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, let's go back to camp and listen to ta- Shane talk about his penis. Yes. Yeah, so... You gotta love Shane here, because as much as we were talking up uh, Shane's good gameplay here, he does have that lack of tact. And I love that, you know, Sri's talking about that when they get back to camp, Shane does all this talk of like, you know what, if if all the challenges to lose, I was fine with this one. By the way, Sri, can you look at my penis? Like, there's no segue between, you know, on the walk back to camp, he's like, okay, I gotta gotta have Sri look at it. How am I gonna, how am I gonna segue into this? This is the scene I had so much fun with on the Funny 115, just watching it over and over and trying to find good screen caps because this whole scene is hilarious screen caps of 
Shane having no pants, Suri having to look at his penis, and Suri giggling and looking all awkward. And it's just it's it's one of my favorite scenes of the middle Survivor season. So and Danielle's yeah. trying to eat. <laughs> yeah. I have an issue with my penis, and Suri's like, "Lucky me, being the only nurse here! Yay!" <laughs> and I love that. Like Suri's like, "I don't want to look at it," and Danielle's like, well, "Me neither, man." <laughs> And so, yeah, if those of you who don't remember the scene, Shane basically has diaper rash because he's been wearing wet pants. So Sari tells him, you can't sleep in wet pants. They just chafe. And so from the rest of the season on, Shane will not wear wet pants. And this will have a hilarious uh, effect later. It will come back later into play. So just kind of remember it. It all starts right here. And yeah, Sari again with the quip. Shane is like a cartoon character. And now he's like a nude cartoon character. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. What I love is that it's, it must have been very relieving because... You know, Suri has seen some some things, and you know has has some common sense and some, you know, some medical training and all that sort of stuff. So like Shane is really worried because he's like, it hurts and it's all red, and it's like, dude, I'm telling you, if my junk hurt and was all red, I'd probably be a little freaked out too, right? But Suri's just like, it's just chafed. You need to just, you know, Suri should have just screwed loose. with him and been like, Shane, it's hepatitis. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I have to. I just take my son's name back. I have hepatitis now. <laughs> but then it's cool. Shane just wears his shirt as a skirt, and uh, we're good. Perfect skirt. Yes. So anyway, yeah. So we have the whole scene with Sari and Shane and and Shane's penis, and then the winning people come back from their reward, which we never saw. Not only did they get to see their videos from home, which we never saw, they got their peanut butter and jelly, which we never saw, and oh yeah, they got their luxury items too. So all of a sudden they come back, and Courtney has her little fire toys. Which I love because then, you know, Terry has an American flag, which, I mean, lol. Yeah. But, you know, he also says that, you know, this was on, what, his father-in-law's casket or... Yeah. <laughs> which, you can't which make fun like, of that. Come on, that's pretty cool. Which, which you can't make fun of, but also, like, is that really something you want, like, out in Panama, like, in the rain? Yeah. Like, that... I don't, know, I, don't know, I don't know if that desecrates the memory a little bit by being like, I'm going to take this out to rainy, muddy Panama and, yeah. you know, have it get downpoured on and people might step on it. Yeah, but then she- I... I I love it because Shane like, can use it as his chafing skirt. <laughs> his chafing skirt. But like Terry has the American flag, right? And then uh, Courtney's got the, the, the fire toys, w- which are incredible. Bruce has a sketchbook, in which he starts sketching like incredible vistas. And Sally has a journal. <laughs> uh, of course. Hey, Bruce, how long have you uh, been, uh, been sketching? 30 years I've taught sketching classes. <laughs> Sketch me doing these katas. Draw me like one of your French girls. <laughs> but was, was, I'm surprised Sally was allowed to bring a journal. Wasn't I thought after the whole Vesepia Fallen Comrades thing, people weren't allowed to bring those well, types of writing items as luxury items anymore. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good argument if they still did Fallen Comrades, but they don't do that anymore. So there's no advantage to having a journal anymore. There's that, and also they probably were like, yeah, I would like to bring a journal. Well, you can... Uh, Sally, you can bring a journal. It's okay. <laughs> Sally's like, that's the only thing I own. Dear, dear journal, my sister has a new apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Let me draw you some potential floor plans for this apartment. <laughs> I have not seen them, but this is our. These are some options. I can't believe we've made Sally entertaining. Well done, everybody. <laughs> Yeah, but it's just so weird. I wrote that in my notes, and I circled it. I'm glad Jay brought it up. It's so weird 
to see no footage at all from the reward. I mean, like videos from home, that's a big emotional moment. They usually show that stuff on Survivor. That's that's cracked to the producers most of the time. Or, or or was it a plot twist? Did they not get their video from home and it was just video of Greg's sister having incestual jokes? And they were like, oh shit, we've seen that before. Yeah. They all got rickrolled. It's just four rickrollings. It, 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 no, it's a best of package. It has the Greg Buist stuff. It has Brian Heideck and his wife. <laughs> So yeah, the good thing from this moment, even though we don't see any of the footage, it's the opposite of show, don't tell. They told us, didn't show, didn't show us. But the good news is, from the rest of the season, we're going to have lots of footage of Courtney doing spinny things with her fire toys in the background. So that's always fun. Which is cool, right? I mean, that's a cool yeah. luxury item. Well, what's cool is Bruce could have used those things as some kind of weapons and like killed people. Uh, well, no, he would have just incorporated them in kata. I mean, he would have. <laughs> yeah. Then he would. Then he would have had just another weapon to just kick the living crap out of that air. Let me tell you, <laughs> I'm going to fuck up that air. <laughs> All right, so now we hop to the immunity challenge. This is a fun one. Uh, this is, it's an underwater memory game, where they get up, they have to run underwater, memorize some uh, symbols, bring it back, blah blah, spell out the puzzle. That's that's interesting. That's not the most interesting part about this challenge. The most right, interesting like, thing is, which yeah, is? this is the old Guatemala ethics test. Do you want to compete or do you want to eat in front of everybody? Yes, and I think this one even works out sometimes. It's, it's, it was really fun to watch. The first time they did it in Guatemala, it was up against an endurance challenge. So it's really like very calm and they, they kind of eat and they finish and they're full. Whereas this time, we get two challenges going at the same time. How much can they shove in their face on one one side of things, and then the actual challenge going on on the other side of things? So it's it's, it's a much more entertaining um, a challenge to watch with this free that, twist. That's what I liked about this one is that you're right, Paul. The, the Guatemala one because this isn't the first time. Obviously, Guatemala they did this whole eat or play sort of uh, thing, and I always love this. I want I want them to do this all the time. I still think this is quite relevant because it will create tension in some way, even if you talk about it beforehand. Just being there and seeing the food will just create. Uh, tension and feelings in some way and uh what i love about this is paul is exactly right this this is a challenge that's literally going to take just a couple of minutes to complete it's not going to take very very long if in the sense so it's like okay i'm going to eat but i'm going to have to really just go for it and just shove everything in my mouth as fast as possible so it's entertaining to watch them you know just try to you know uh nathan's hot dog challenge all these cheeseburgers and fries (laughs) you know when you have a patient who has constipation like bruce I think four out of five doctors recommend eating as much greasy food as you can in five minutes. Yeah, again, this is really where the Bruceometer would really come into play here. <laughs> no, the Bruceometer's in red now. <laughs> I yeah. really want that Bruceometer. And again, this is this is the fact of RS keeping his tribe together and just being sort of tribe minded. Is that RS took the bullet, went to Exile Island, and we didn't talk about it, but RS is basically like, uh, probably Terry has found the idol, or no one's finding it. Is basically his his uh, conclusion from going there and he comes back and he's like, ah, it was pretty fine. I started a fire. I was good, but I don't want to be there forever. But then they have this eat or compete and all of the Kasaya choose to eat except for Aris. And they're, they're like, good dude, do it. Aris. You got this. Aris. <laughs> you got it, buddy. <laughs> Although to be fair to Aris, I mean, yeah, it's benevolent that he's looking out for his tribe and trying to keep Terry from winning immunity, but he's also looking after his own butt too. Cause he knows full well, if Terry plays an idol, then he's the one that's going to go home. So he's not a hundred percent protecting his tribe here. It's protecting himself. He is. He is. Yeah. I mean, th- that is true. But it's like, Aris, it's really funny because he, he just sort of has looks where it's like he's the only Kasaya member that's going to compete in the challenge. And you're like, yeah, buddy, I feel you. And that's, it was good. But uh, the challenge happens. Terry wins. I don't know what else to say. 
Yeah. Well, this is, I don't know if this is the first time we see it, but Terry wins and he does his little Terry fist pump. That's yes. his signature move. I forget if this is the first time we see it, but this is like his, his uh, Madden football, their celebration touchdown dance. He does his little Terry fist pump. It just gets tough because I, I, I wonder what situation you'd be in because we've said now Terry has completely torpedoed his social game in every way. He's created sort of a wedge and a divide, and so he's no longer trying to create inroads with the rest of the game. He's literally just thrown his middle finger to Kasai and says, I'm just going to keep winning challenges. Beat me if you can, you know, you losers. And it's like celebrating with the fist pump and the, yeah, babies, oh, yeah, and all that sort of stuff. It's just more driving a wedge in there, but at this point, does he care? But yeah. my argument would be he should, but at this point, that's not his mindset. His mindset is, I'm just going to rub it in, and that's, that's, that's how I'm going to go. I'm gonna well, yeah, I mean, to be fair to Terry, what else can he really do at this point? Like, well, he could, have been, he could have been better and tried to, you know, there will always be that if, he, if he's the last Lamina member remaining and he's winning challenges, yeah, they're going to vote around him, and yeah, they may stay together, but maybe he could try something, but he has completely screwed the pooch at this point. But my, my argument would be try to make amends and make contritions, but that's not what he tried to do. And again, I'm not sure a Navy fighter pilot is really the type of person who's going to go to grovel to civilians. I mean, that's just, that's just the mentality you're going to have if you're that specialized and, like, advanced in the things you can do in the world. It's just, I, just not, it's not apologizing for Terry's uh, his actions and stuff. I'm just guessing that's yeah. not in his behavior. You don't grovel to people who are ranks under you. No, I, I understand that. But Terry wins a challenge, and so they have to stop eating, and we get the very <laughs> comical thing of Shane with the humongous mouthful. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Shane, one last bite, shoves half of a burger into his face and probes just laughs at him. It's a great image. It's a still shot I have all over the funny 115. It's a, one of my favorite pictures from this season. <clears throat> all right. So, yeah. So, Terry wins immunity, and basically, Sally is dead meat because there's no one else to really vote for. So, it's going to be one of these. Yes. Uh, <laughs> this, this week's Lamina hair braid scheme is let's bring the girls over and force a tie. Not, <laughs> not get the majority of the votes. Force a tie. <laughs> force a tie. Let's I can force a tie so you possibly could take the next week off. <laughs> yes. So You'll have to deal with a little mortal terror of a tiebreaker, but after that, you can take a week off. I will say, speaking of the idol, one of the things that I think we gloss over that is a really great, again, Shane soundbite is he tells Terry, if you don't have that silly idol from that goofy island, you're gone. And just love that Shane uses the term goofy island. Yes. Another Shane which, quote. Which, which, you know, if you go to Disneyland, that's a whole different thing. I, I kind of wanted the season to be subtitled Survivor Panama Goofy Island. <laughs> but this this also shows, again, the strategy of, because Terry entertained the idea of giving Sally the idol, and he's immune so that they can get somebody out. But he ultimately chooses not to give Sally the idol. Sally gets voted out here, and that's the right play. Because, yeah, they could vote someone out here, but then it's, what, five to two? Yeah. Like, they've, they've he- literally, they've, they've done nothing. And even Sari mentions it. She says if, if Terry plays the idol on Sally tonight, it's one of the worst moves that's ever existed because Terry would have to solely rely on winning immunity for the, for the rest of the game. And while he's seemed to commit to himself to that, this is a guaranteed one round of safety. And, you know, in the happenstance, and they bring this up later, where Terry slips up on a challenge, which he happens to right at the final four and final three, he, he will at least have this thing to protect him for those next three days. Yep. So it's the right yeah. play by Terry not to give it to Sally. And uh, Sally goes home. 
Yeah, two things I wanted to mention about this ending here that are kind of noteworthy is that this is where at Tribal Council, Terry points out, you know, he, he just wants to beat Aris now because it's kind of a showdown between these two. What's the phrase that we heard in the preview? I forgot it already. Mike, you remember two the battering, two, two battering rams? Yeah, two battering. Oh, Paul wouldn't, Paul wouldn't remember that one. He's the only one that brought it up. <laughs> I did not say that, Paul. I, 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 I did not. It's wearing off on Mario. I'm sorry. Sorry, Mike. So anyway, so anyway, yeah. So uh, this is where it kind of starts that Terry brings up this this rivalry between him and Aris that's going to last the rest of the season. And the other thing is that something that Jay, I believe it was Jay and not Paul, who said this earlier, is that Probst is really good this season. At Tribal Council, you know, they're going on. Daniel says, you know, Terry's so cocky. You know, we can't stand uh-huh. him. And Probst is the one that brings up, well, you guys are the one that wouldn't even compete in the challenge because you knew you were safe. So who's the cockier one? So it's one of those. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. I know a lot of people don't like Terry, so they love people bad-mouthing Terry. But Probst makes a good point there. Like, well, yeah, Terry might be cocky, but you're cocky too. So let's not say it's a one-sided thing here. Like, he doesn't like you any more than you like him. So I just thought it was an interesting, it was a good Probst moment. I appreciate him in this one. Yeah, there's an ice cold moment from Probst, and that's good. And that's that's what I that's that's when Probst at his best. Is I, I like it when Probst needles the players and and points things out. And and to me, it just doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like he's trying to needlessly sort of needle out some weird storyline or controversy here. He's just trying to poke holes in all the players' theories and the things that they're trying to say. And and that's when I think Jeff's at his best, and he just does it really well this season. Is that okay, Paul? Do you approve of all that? Yeah, it's great. Lovely. Moving on. <laughs> all right. We are officially to the Bruce poop episode. Yes. I cannot Everyone believe Everyone get ready to poop your pants. <laughs> Except for Sally, because she's gone. <laughs> yeah, Sally's gone. Dear diary, I was voted out. <laughs> all right, so here we go. So the, the season is about to kick into high gear. I know we badmouthed the last couple episodes, but it's really fantastic from here on out, and it's going to start with this episode. Just a bizarre episode, one that I have very mixed feelings about, and I'll talk about them as we get further along. But basically, it's six Kasayas against Terry now. It's six against one. This is when the season always gets fun, when it's one person against the group. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, Terry's last stand, we can call this episode. Yeah, so, and, and Shane uh, shows off maybe his lack of survivor history when he, like, I think he hugs Daniel close. He's like, this is going to be the first time a yeah. tribe is going <laughs> to stick together all the way to the end. There's like, uh, I don't know if you watched uh, every season one, one, two, three, five, eight, <laughs> anything like that. Yeah. Pretty sure the Toggies did a pretty good job of sticking together. Well, you know, uh, in, in, in Survivor Australia, of course, they, they sort of paused in their thing to vote out Jerry and stuff. But I mean, the Toggies. <laughs> After the merge, pretty much voted out all of the Pagongs. I mean, hence the name Paganging, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is a fun little Shane moment there. And then uh, this is where a food pot, Danielle and Courtney are kind of watching the food cook that morning, and it falls into the fire and spills, and Danielle and Courtney start bickering over it. And this is where Terry just kind of tells us, you know what's fun is that now I just get to watch them implode. They're going to have to, because he knows he can't be voted out this episode. He has the idol. So... Some bad shit's about to happen to all the people around him, and he's just excited to watch how it's going to fall apart. Which, again, me bad-mouthing Terry, like he says that, and, and later on, uh, when we get to the reward challenge, which I know we're going to talk about, because this reward challenge is excellent, but surprise, surprise, Terry's going to go to Exile Island, and then he's like, but it was fun to sit and watch them all implode, I'm going to use that information. No, you're not, Terry! <laughs> you just, you know, stuck your middle finger up at him and said, I'm just going to, screw you guys, I'm just going to win immunities to the end. Like, you can't then say, well, I'm going to use this. You're not going to use this information. You've already, like, yelled at them about everything. Now, why do you hate Terry so, Jay? Jay? I don't hate Terry. I, 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 I think that I'm really glad that Terry existed. I'm glad that Terry 
was a character that we had, someone that, you know, beast moded all the challenges and not only that, but just dared the other guys to beat him, which is just that is balls to an nth degree that I think is just fantastic. But, you know, when people there are people that are just like, man, that Terry, you know, he he could have. No, he couldn't have. Like <laughs> yeah. his only his only shot was to literally win out immunities and then just hope he had enough friends on the jury, which maybe he would have. Well, OK, let's bring this up since we're right here. Many years later, after Exile Island, Terry was voted back into Second Chances. Did you guys like that that chant, that uh, selection? Do you think you'll be fun the second time around? Um, I think it just was like such a long time coming that was a showing that Terry does whether you like him or not. And I've always been a person who hasn't been a huge fan of Terry, um, but now it's at the point that it's been so long, and he still is. Like I can still think back to Terry and think of all the ridiculousness that goes on in the season, and, and yet how epic he is in the season that. Um, it'll be interesting to see him crash and burn this next season. Yeah, I would agree with Paul. I think from a character perspective, and at least from like his story perspective in the first season, it's really interesting because he was seen as this huge alpha male in his first season. So I think it's, especially comparing him with the rest of the cast, because you have alpha males like Andrew Savage in, this, in the cast, but also at the same time you have these challenge beasts like Joe from Worlds Apart too. So the interesting thing is going is seeing like well how is Terry now we have people competing for like the Terry spots. Well, he uh, had Dan. He, he did he had Dan, <laughs> the other alpha male. So I mean, I think he's equipped for Joe. <laughs> That's very uh, true. I don't know I don't know if Dan, Joe can hold Joe. a candle to the I don't know if Joe can hold a candle to the uh to the challenge acumen of Dan Fuego. <laughs> I will I will take the stance of I think Terry should have been brought back earlier. You yeah. know, it, Micronesia or even Heroes versus Villains. Not that I think that Terry is like the greatest character of all time, but the fact that they're that, that, that Terry is being brought back uh, for Survivor second chances all those years later. I don't know if we're going to get the same Terry if he's going to you know if he's not winning every challenge. What good is he? I mean, has he learned a uh, has he learned a couple of tricks? Maybe he has, and that'll be interesting to see another facet of Terry. And I'm sure that he's going to be no slouch in challenges uh, to any sort of degree, but. It, it just seems unfortunate that Terry's second chance is literally so many years after a Panama Exile Island voodoo skulls of exile. I guess this might be a better question for part three of this podcast, but would you consider Terry a hero or a villain this season? I've heard some very strong opinions on this. <sighs> I wouldn't say he was either. I mean, I think Terry was a unique character within survivor. And I, I literally think we haven't, we haven't seen Terry since, uh, you know, he's not a, obviously, you know, older challenge beast. There is an archetype for a challenge beast, but Terry is so different because he is heroic in the sense that, you know, he, in the older men tribe at the beginning, he was their leader and he did sort of lead that tribe to functionality for those first couple of days. And he was seen as, you know, someone in charge at Lamina and he did do well in all of the challenges, even though Lamina didn't win all of the challenges. And he goes on just an incredible immunity run and it's unprecedented. And Terry is just the beast at it. But he also has this where he's just, he's, he torpedoes his social chances and then he just flips his middle finger at Kasai and says, screw you guys, try to beat me. So I, I wouldn't say it's heroic that, that sense, but I don't know. Villain isn't the right word. Major, yeah, I, fo- major foil, maybe. 
Yeah. I mean, obviously, from a production standpoint, he's considered a hero, both because of his background and the way he was built up as this, especially from this episode onward, it's going to be a huge underdog story with Terry. But it's like what we talked about before with Dan in terms of a disparity between production and audience, because while production loves the idea of him, the audience was, I think the audience liked Kasaya so much that they're like, okay, and Terry's there. All right, and Terry keeps winning. So I don't think the I don't think the audience in general was ever as warm on him as the producers wanted us to be. I mean, let, let's look at who won the fan favorite that season. That was Sari. That wasn't Terry at all. So I I I I think because the producers were casting for heroes versus villains from like their specific production perspective, he would be a hero. Yeah, I would agree with that. I just I've heard people over the years call him one of the biggest villains in Survivor history, which I I don't see that at all. I'm just curious. I've heard that a lot. People just really there's a lot of people out there who have really really strong opinions that he was this huge villain, which again, I don't see at all. I'm just curious what you guys thought on that. I would say that production would put him on the heroes tribe. I agree with Mike. But I, I don't know. I, I he yeah. might he could he could be on he could be on the villain tribe. You know, you can make a case for it because he's got that sneering demeanor of, hey, I'm, I'm better than you at challenges. Try to beat me. But uh, I cannot I fathom. I cannot fathom. Yeah, go ahead. Don't they make the case that Danielle's the villain because she takes out, she cuts Terry's yeah. throat at the last minute. So yeah. that would make him the hero. Yeah, that's, I cannot fathom there's a TV show with Mark Burnett's name on it where someone like Terry would be on a villain's tribe. Yeah, I just can't it, even think Exactly. That. Yeah, you, you have to put him on the hero's tribe. But then again, you know, Whenever we get to heroes versus villains, what in twenty years from now, <laughs> when we finally do that one, I mean, just the question of these people are heroes and these people are villains. I mean, you just gotta throw your hands up sometimes. Yeah. All right. So enough of that tangent. Let's get back to the important things in life. There's a scene here where Bruce says that his butt hurts. Then the sad music starts to play. This is going to be the theme of the entire rest of this episode. That Bruce's butt, stomach, back, all are an incredible amount of pain right now. But let's get into it. Get into a challenge. Yeah, well, this is uh, the reemergence of the pirate music. When at Tree Mail, they get their uh, they get their their like uh, customized dolls, and they have to decorate them. So there's a fun scene there where like Sri is like stuffing her doll's bra to give her some curves, and Arsis has like is made of scraps of fabric. So that's that's a fun one. But then little do they know that they're about to burn them at the stake. I know it's so funny. Like we we remember the scene from Amazon where they had to smash each other's face. And it's so ironic, you know, in the context of this podcast, that they're doing the same challenge. They just took out the smashers part. Like, they make them all into Ruth Marie non-smashers, and they're going to burn them instead. It's horrible. <laughs> but we'll figure out who's a chopper and who's not a chopper. Exactly. That's, that's a part two. Terry, Terry is not a chopper. <laughs> Terry is not a chopper. <clears throat> so, yes, this is the classic, how well do you know your tribes mates? They give a little slam book. They get to fill out questions. Who's the most annoying? Who don't you like? And basically, they try to predict who everybody answered, and if you get the answer right, you get to burn somebody else's voodoo doll. And I have pretty to say, much this is just pump up Courtney's self esteem. <laughs> yes, I have to say this it, is it, one. Was that, my... was that said in quotes, Paul? That no. was. <laughs> they talk about how much they love Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I was going to say I, this is my favorite, one of my favorite types of challenges on Survivor. I wish they would do it in every season because it's always fun. And it serves no other purpose than to make everybody hate each other for a while. Yeah, it's like the, op- you know, the opposite of the mixer challenge. Yeah, they, they, then they ask the shots like, you know, one of them, I think, and then again, Jeff Probst, dynamite on fire dick moment is the, the, the question of who is, who is the biggest poser. 
Yeah. And then Courtney says, as they're flipping, she says, what's a poser? And he doesn't say anything. They all flip. And then Jeff says, the correct answer is you. You're a poser. <laughs> yes. All oh, right. So let's, let's, let's just go right down the questions and answers for people who haven't watched this season in a while. Who mm-hmm. does the least for the tribe? And the answer is, surprisingly not Courtney, it is Danielle. Danielle the is the meat- one who takes the first hit. The meatball. <laughs> the meatball. So and everyone she's piles a meatballer, not a worker. <laughs> yes. So everybody, of course, burns Terry's voodoo doll immediately. Burn, 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 done. So that's it for Terry. Next question? And next question. Who never shuts up? The answer is? Courtney. Courtney, Courtney. yes. First of Too bad Sally, Sally was out. Otherwise, it would have been Sally. <laughs> totally would have been Sally. <laughs> Whose sister has the newest apartment? <laughs> <laughs> Sally doesn't even know. She's like, I really want to I really wanted Jeff to like hold up Kel's shorts or Nick's shorts, and then someone go, "Oh, is this Kel's shorts?" <laughs> Which tribes mate has been to this exact island before? Only two hundred miles up. All right. So the next one is uh, who mistakenly believes they are running this game? So it's Shane. Shane and Shane's like, I don't presume to that I'm running anything. And so yeah, yeah so that. Yeah, he's a little shocked about that, and then Bruce, he gets taken out next. So this is clearly the pecking order again. Terry goes first, now Bruce is out. I will say, though, that if you look back on this challenge, Bruce it does look like he is so ashen and in pain in this whole challenge. Like, his mouth is always just sort of open, and it's like, you just know. You just know that he is just absolutely in agony every second he's out there. Really too bad one of the questions wasn't, which of the remaining castaways is most full of shit? <laughs> Oh, that would have been such a tough one. <laughs> and the answer, Bruce, is you. <laughs> no, it's, it still would have been Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> Guys. All right, next up we have, yeah, this is where Shane takes the hit about presuming that he runs the game. And Probes is like, wow, that was a rough round for you, Shane. And immediately cuts to Shane just looking pissed off. And Sari gives one of the ultimate Sari giggles. She just busts up. She can't handle it. Yes, yeah, they they talk later about how fun this challenge is, but it's really only fun for like Shane and and uh, for uh, sorry, Sari and Aris and Danielle because the rest yeah. of these people are so crestfallen by what's happened. Either they get taken out early, or they get basically slammed in front of the entire uh, tribe, or their right. guts are so full of crap they can't enjoy anything. Next one is who would you trust with your life? And the answer to that one is Sari, and Sari looks shocked. Which, I don't know why she's shocked, since she is a nurse, and she literally looks after people's lives for a living. So, I'm not sure why she's shocked that she was the answer to that. Probably thought the question was, who would you trust with your penis? <laughs> <laughs> Alright, who would you not trust to watch your back? And they all vote for Terry, because Terry's a dick, of course. And here we go, here's the one Jay talked about, or maybe it was Paul. I want to make sure Paul gets credit, just in case. Who is the biggest poser? And Courtney does not know what that word is. She's like, what's a poser? And like Jay said, the, according to the tribe, that would be you. Good Jeff Probst moment. And, and Courtney is, at this point, you can just see that she is upset. So Courtney's getting upset because she's getting a lot of the negativity on, on these questions. Shane is getting upset at this point. Not, not really for the question, but just for the fact that Courtney has gotten two questions around here right. And her two chops have been to Shane. And Shane takes umbrage at this, I must say. Well, I love it because the next question is, who is the moodiest? <laughs> and the answer is Shane. And it immediately goes into this. And we have another great Jeff Probst moment where, you know, Shane says, you know, Courtney, you're the only one that's been hitting me. Your life is changing. And Jeff says, well, I thought you weren't running the game. <laughs> yeah, that, w- that was fantastic. 
Yeah, it was absolutely one of top ten Jeff uh, most timely Jeff Probst quips right there. That was perfect. And then the whole challenge gets derailed temporarily when Shane and Courtney start arguing. And then, like, you have Terry and Bruce on the bench kind of, like, being the peanut gallery and throwing out comments of, like, oh, yeah, this, this is great. Oh, yeah, remember the helicopter ride to a spa. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> ours is just, like, literally trying to say, stop it. We need to yeah. do this. We need to rise above this, guys. So anyway, yeah, so Danielle gets sent out of the game third. The pecking order is revealing itself. No one likes Danielle either. Then the next question is, who most easily succumbs to intimidation? <laughs> And again, it's Courtney. If it's like slightly uh, negative, give it to Courtney. <laughs> yes, yeah, so Courtney starts getting annoyed, visibly annoyed at these questions now. Sari is giggling off to the side. And again, this entire episode is just Sari giggling. That you can sum up this entire episode as her giggling over stuff. It's so funny because sometimes, like when they, when they'll edit things together, they'll show someone laughing or giggling, and you're like, okay, did that really happen in the moment, or is that some editing? Like, no, you get a full shot here. Here's Courtney pissed off, and like. Suri is clearly like two inches from her laughing her ass off. Yeah. And she's got the greatest laugh where she's trying to laugh where nobody can see that she's doing it. She's trying to hide it. All right. So, yeah, Courtney is the next one eliminated from the challenge. And then Suri puts Shane out and Shane gets all pissy. And Suri's like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Shane. And, uh, yeah, so Shane goes and pouts with everybody else on the bench. And he has this little soliloquy where he just rants about Suri being horrible. <laughs> he, like, throws his cards yeah. up in the air. <laughs> like, He's like, fuck this. Yeah. Also, Shane is the moodiest, let's point out. Yeah, so uh, what do we have here? Who would never survive on their own? Surprisingly enough, it's the woman who's scared of leaves. It's Suri. Yep, she chooses herself, and that's the winning one. Yep, and then she wins. Suri wins her first ever survivor. Is this the only challenge she has ever won before no, when, when she wasn't part of a team yeah yeah only individual challenge so <clears throat> they send terry off to exile island again pretty much and Sari gets to go pick two people to go on the, the reward with her which is a little spa and massage. it's a really it's a really quick easy decision causes no drama yeah exactly you know kasaya they're understanding they understand <laughs> there's a lot so, yeah. of this it's funny because she picks aris first and she says, because I promised him. And then Shane is begging at this point. Like, he's on his knees, and he's like, Cherie. And she takes Danielle, and Shane's like, you promised me, Cherie. And she's like, I know, but Danielle first. <laughs> yeah, I know. Really, promises don't mean a lot of much. Only the timing of the promise works in Survivor. I, I, well, I wonder, obviously, none of us have obviously been out there on the island or anything, but I wonder how much of the talk that goes on in the 24 hours of Survivor is people just saying, All right, I'll take you on the reward if I, get, if I win an individual reward. I'll take you, too. Shane swearing on his kids, who he's going to take, all sorts of stuff like that. Yep. So yeah, so Suri ends up taking Aris and Danielle, and Shane is not happy about this. Is he throws a, uh, a full Billy Martin here in baseball, and he starts kicking the dirt and throwing things. The wonderful Shane tantrum. All right, so uh, yeah, so let's go to reward here. We got Shane, our, uh, Aris, Suri, and Danielle on this uh, massage reward, and all they're doing is laughing about how horrible it was that Shane got pissed and how Courtney was number one for all the bad ones and how this must have absolutely destroyed her because Courtney's number one thing in life is to be loved and accepted by everyone. And this entire challenge was not loving and not accepting Courtney for anything. Well, I mean, it you, was if, about if, loving. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, if you take Danielle's quote here about how she thinks that Courtney has a crush on Shane and you apply it to the scenes that are about to ensue, it makes them even more enjoyable. Oh yeah, I totally I never noticed that before. I totally see that when I watch now that I do think that Shane and Courtney have the hot for each other. Alright, so what do we got here? So, uh, 
yeah, so everybody's out on the reward, and back at camp, we have Shane and Courtney just sitting there miserable, and they're basically by themselves because Bruce is passed out. Bruce is in so much pain, his pooper's still hurting that he's gone and laid down and passed out. So basically, Shane and Courtney are sitting around camp lamenting this horrible challenge, and Shane's like, you just got to learn not to take it personally, which is very rich coming from Shane. And Courtney's like, how could I not personalize this? That was the most personal challenge ever. And this is, again, Shane and Courtney start bickering like uh, people that like that are romantically interested in each other. It's kind of funny. And this is when we get the uh, amazing cut, probably one of the best like editing choices in Survivor ever, of Bruce moaning in pain, jump cut to Serene moaning in ecstasy as she's getting the <laughs> massage on the table. <laughs> That is a great one. Yeah, it's it's funny for a, a, an episode that is theoretically so you know sensitive to Bruce and such a tribute to Bruce. How many little goofy, goofy little editing things are in this episode? Yeah, this episode's hilarious on a, on a rewatch. And then yeah. we we cut back to them at the challenge. They're all getting their massage, and then Danielle has the dude, and the dude is like kicking the living crap out of Danielle. Yeah, yeah. Sari has that great quote. Danielle picked the guy she thought would have the stronger hands. And he did. Then she goes, hee, <laughs> which is because, yeah, Danielle's just totally getting beaten up by this masseuse. And then they eat like a million things at dinner and they're like, oh, my God, a lot of food. And are we to full on Bruce mode now? I'm looking at my notes here. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So they yep. have the fun reward. And it basically it's Bruce, Shane and Courtney back at camp. And now it starts night 25, the big one at Gitanos or Gitanos. And then, yeah, we start with R.S. and Daniel saying, you know, I'm worried about poor Bruce back at camp with those two. And let's cut back to poor Bruce. So Bruce is not doing well, and he's moaning, and he's in pain. And uh, he's over there in it, sort of in the hut or in the one part, and he's just, you know, moaning in just absolute patheticness. And, of course, the person to come <laughs> see Bruce is Courtney. <laughs> I mean, we, we cannot deny here, one of the amazing things about this scene is that the two people Bruce are left with is not the nurse or the most caring normal individuals on the tribe, but it's Shane and Courtney are his caretakers for the next several hours. And, and this he, makes he, it even so amazing. Yeah, and you can see the care. I mean, you can see Courtney is concerned, and she just leans over him, and she's just like, what's going on? And Bruce is just like, ah, oh, it's my stomach. It just hurts so bad. Uh, and Courtney's like, D- do you want me to sing for you? Yeah, will no. that help? <laughs> no. And then she and then does it anyway. Well, what I love is that, you know, he says, will that help? No. Okay. Da, 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 da. <laughs> don't. Yeah, you get the subtitle, stop, don't. <laughs> I have to stop. Don't. Okay, I, I got to share a story here that when I first started making the, the funny 115 for Exile Island, I got so many requests. This was one of the top requests. Everyone said, you have to write about that whole Bruce scene because it's so awkward and then unintentionally hilarious. And I was dead set against writing about it because I hated the fact that people thought the scene was funny. I'm like, that's very insensitive. You know, Bruce went through a horrible time. And I have to say, one time when my son was about four years old, he was constipated and we had to rush him to an emergency room. And this was out in the middle of rural Mississippi, which is not where you want to be in an emergency room at two in the morning. So we're on a cruise. My son is moaning in pain. He, he can't really explain what's wrong with him. We just think his, like, his stomach's about to explode. We think he has appendicitis. And we had to rush our son to the emergency room. And it was one of the scariest things I've ever experienced as a parent. So I watched this episode, and I know how scary and horrible it must have been for Bruce. And I'm like, there's no way I'm ever going to write about that scene on the Funny 115. Because I, I know it's goofy, but I just wasn't going to do it. And then I swear I watched, I sat down to watch the scene just from a comedic perspective. 
and it's so fucking funny that I had to write about it, and I it kills me because I have mixed feelings. I really don't think people should make fun of the scene, but it's so unintentionally funny that it's just a comedic masterpiece, and it starts right here with, can I sing? Will that help? No. Okay. Sings. It just it just starts right there, and it's not going to let up. It's so awkward the entire rest of the episode. It's I always wondered what the producers thought about the scene. If they really do think it's sad, like the way, they way tr- the way they try to present it, or if they realize how goofy it is, like most of the audience noticed at the time. So yes, so well, she sings anyway. No, don't, don't, and then they finally go, and you know, basically you see like a, a jump cut, and then Bruce is basically says, uh, you know, hey. I think this is kind of an emergency. I, I need the medics to get here. And so basically, you know that the medical team is coming. So then you see the boat come <laughs> and here comes the medical team and you get the nice doctors. All right, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> They're always what Australian. Seems- yeah, always. <laughs> All right, Bruce. What seems to be the problem? <laughs> <laughs> My butt. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's it's weird to me that like, the only previous time that we've seen someone medevac before at this point is Mike Scoop in Australia. So it's weird. To, it's jarring. Like when in Australia, you're like, okay, this makes sense that the doctor is Australia, but we're in Panama and the doctor is still Australian. <laughs> that doesn't add up. <laughs> what's, what's the two what? medevacs in Survivor history? The guy who fell in the fire and burned his face and hands off, or the guy who had to poop. You know, and it's tough because Bruce is just. I mean, this is. Uh, what's funny is that we're making fun of it, but I mean, this is just a horrific situation like Bruce has endured a ton of pain at this point, even to be there. So, you know, much love to you, Bruce, because man, that is, that is ridiculous uh, amount of pain that you were in. But what's fun is that the medic gets out there and it's like, I know that those medics are all well-trained and well-educated and all this stuff. But I mean, he just is out there and he's like, all right. Uh, And you know, he he takes, he, he loosens Bruce clothes and he basically starts feeling down the abdomen to see where the pain is. And he gets down to sort of, the, the the stomach sort of region there and Bruce you know yells out in pain and stuff like that and he's just like yeah give me your appendix I don't know <laughs> you know and he's just like hey, he's just he's just shooting in the dark at this point you know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe it's why they kept him as Australian because I feel like with the Australian accent it always sounds so chipper even if it's the most dour of news keep a stiff well, Bruce, like you got, he's like you got like uh, three hours to live <laughs> tough on you <laughs> tough on you I'm gonna put an IV in and uh, I'll be back in two shakes <laughs> There's a great, there's a great little underrated moment right here where they're in the shelter. They're kind of all by themselves. Bruce and the doctor. Bruce is moaning and writhing in pain, and Courtney decides at that moment to pop in. You getting any better? Yeah. <laughs> no. Not, not really. <laughs> oh man. Well, then, uh, you know, from a larger perspective, I be- keep making these points about. Um, about how these episodes are kind of setting things up for seasons to come. And we've gone so long in Survivor history with no medevacs, not since season two. And now we kind of break the seal on this. And every other season, we're going to have one to two medevacs. So I think it's another um, reminder of that this season really does kind of pave the way for where Survivor is going to go from here on out. They do cover up because, you know, there are people in other seasons that have had problems. They've fed IVs into people and they haven't shown it. Mm -hmm. But, you know, they have to sort of show them yanking them out of the game. But, I mean, with Scoopin's injury, I mean, that was so horrific. Mike Scoopin falling in the fire. I mean, everyone looks at that and immediately understands, like, oh, my God, that guy is in serious, serious trouble. We need to pull him out of the game. But then you have Bruce. And, I mean, yeah, his condition's serious. But this is not I've burned my hands off. You know, this is, like, internal as in, you know, his his bladder and, and stuff is all blocked. And and that's something that you can't necessarily see on the outside. And so it's just he's in pain and the medics come and they're like, well, I'm going to have to pull you out. And it's like, 
oh, they do that. They can do that on Survivor. Absolutely. Yeah, so the yeah the the medic in his chipper Australian way decides this guy's gonna die. We gotta yank him from the game. <laughs> and so yeah, so they they need help carrying the stretcher. Until yeah, Shane, we're gonna. This yeah, is, yeah so this is we we passed the Courtney part, uh, the highlight of this night. Now we get to the Shane part, where first of all, uh, the the doctor's like telling Shane what's going on. It seems like Shane is like a medical expert of like he's like, well, here's what's going on. I can't rule out his appendix, and Shane's like, yeah, got, yep, right, that's right. Yep, but, I, yeah, can, yeah, well, you can't rule that out. And I, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't if I were you. <laughs> uh, by the like, way, uh, if you just want to look at my penis briefly, uh, I got something going on down there. <laughs> He's just, just alright, we're gonna we get the stretcher up here. I'm uh, I'm gonna need your hands. I'm gonna need your hands for the stretcher. Oh, oh, oh okay, yeah, absolutely. Do we, do we need to do this uh right this second? <laughs> yes, yes, we're gonna need we're gonna do this right now. <laughs> do we need to medevac him right this moment? Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> so yeah, you guys just, don't mind, I'm naked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is where the the most awkward part of this whole scene is Shane's gonna be naked the entire rest of the scene. So he comes in. and He just says, "Sorry, guys, I'm naked. Uh, if anyone's got a problem, uh, I I got these. I can't these these pants. I, I can't sleep in wet pants." <laughs> he even gets a little confessional, like off to the side, where he just turns to the camera. He's like, "I can't sleep in wet pants," and they <laughs> subtitle it. It's the greatest little subtitle. I'm naked. I can't sleep in wet pants. It's the best. So then, so then you get the scene of uh, of of Bruce, you know, getting put into a stretcher with with naked Shane <laughs> and, and uh, the Aussie have- ducks. The Jenna's dying mom music part starts up here. <laughs> Just to tie it all together. <laughs> oh my god! So then you have this, oh, this scene so of the much. oh, you have the scene of the sad Jenna music, and then you have the the chipper Aussie docks with the uh, it could be your appendix or uh, your your toe exploding. I mean, it's something's <laughs> going on, and uh, you have Courtney and naked Shane with just a humongous blur as they <laughs> wheel or they they cart out. <laughs> They carry poor Bruce's stretcher to the to, to the boat. Easy, get him in, you know. And they're like in the water at this point. And Shane's just like, "We'll see you in a minute, Brucey." <laughs> Looks like it might be his poopy poop. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the greatest. This, this poignant shot of four people carrying their fallen comrade off the battlefield, except one of them is bare ass naked, so he has a blur. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and then it's and then it's funny because Shane actually has some really good words here, really good words, where he's sort of eulogizing. He says, "You know, I hope Bruce gets to finish the game on his own terms, but because you know Bruce is a warrior, and that that's that's the way it is. With the, he's lived such a rich and full and amazing life, it's these really good words from Shane. And then they 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 cap all this off with the shot of the boat sort of sailing away in the distance and Shane with his blurred bare ass just sitting there watching the whole thing. I know, couldn't they have zoomed in a little so you see him from the waist up? No, they have to pull back, so that's the shot. You're, you're, it's like scooping, flying away in the helicopter, the poignant, sad moment. They zoom back and there's Bruce sailing away and Shane's bare ass is the last thing to see. We'll do it for Bruce. <laughs> Whatever happens, make sure we don't end in a shot with Shane's ass. <laughs> and that's the thing, there's, there's no way to top the scene. This is like, that's the thing, I, I, I hate that I had to write about the scene on a funny 115 because it's so horrible and like it's, I feel like it's so insensitive to Bruce to like talk about what a hilarious scene this is, but, but god damn, this is a funny scene and anybody who appreciates comedy have to watch, has to watch this scene and just watch how awkward it is. The, the tone of how serious they're trying to make it and how not serious it is if you look at all the little bit parts. 
It's great. And what kills me is that this isn't even the end of the episode. I remember this <sighs> as being the end of the episode, but it's not. The episode's still 15 more minutes. No, we still, we still have the next day stuff to talk about because Shane and Courtney have their own little aftermath to deal with. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, so we end with that, we end with that scene and the next day, Courtney... <laughs> I don't know if the editors do this on purpose. Like, did they intend to do this? But Courtney gives a confessional the next morning how, you know, yesterday was horrible and, you know, I got crapped on in the, in the challenge. Everyone made fun of me. And so then Bruce got taken away and she says, it was the... It was the icing and the cherry and the hot fudge on top of my pretty poo-poo day. <laughs> like, seriously, did you have to throw in a poop reference, Courtney? <laughs> Come on. So much damn poop in this season. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, so now we cut to Courtney and Shane, who are just left to bicker at camp. No one else is there. It's just the two of them. And first off, they're talking about, you know, they're going to team up. They're going to go to the end. And. And I think a Courtney that says, I would like you to be on my backside and I would like to be, I would like you to be on mine, which is a Arrested Development Tobias Funke quote, if I've ever heard yes. one. <laughs> Very much. Shane, Shane yeah. could be an, an analrapist once he leaves the <laughs> island. I'd love to get those leading, uh, leading man meaty parts in my mouth. <laughs> you blow hard. <laughs> yeah. And so then we get this, the famous scene. This is another one that people begged me to put on the Funny 115. I got so many requests for it where... <clears throat> Shane's like, you know, Courtney, we're going to stick together now. It's just me and you. And he goes, you know, if you ever turn on me, I will go back to Hollywood and I will murder you. I will find you in your shitty apartment and I will kill you. And Courtney's like, well, my apartment's not shitty. <laughs> like she completely glosses over the fact that he's going to murder her. <laughs> uh, but I just the look on her face is just hilarious. Well, and I love I love the part of Shane's plan too as well, which is is not only I'm going to take you to your I'm going to go to your shitty apartment and kill you, but he's also going to take her to his club and that'll be it. <laughs> yes. Although it's funny, I mean, this scene gets a bad rap. People think they're being serious. They might be being serious at one point, but they're totally laughing around and joking with each other. If you watch, it's why it totally backs up Aris's statement that he thinks they have the hots for each other. Like it's, they talk exactly like people who two people who like each other would talk. It's kind of it's really interesting when you look at it from that perspective. And I love that you know once Courtney responds, you know I don't have a shitty apartment. Shane responds like I don't know it's shitty or not. It's just an adjective. You're taking things so personally, which is like probably the most like schoolhouse rock esque lesson that Survivor ever taught. It was what an adjective is like shitty. <laughs> yes, I remember that schoolhouse rock episode. Yes, about the shitty apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and so Shane finally lets on his plan that he's going to take Courtney to the final two because she's a dream opponent. Anyone can beat her. So this is going to become a major storyline in the upcoming episodes, how easy an opponent Courtney will be at the final in the finals. All right, so the only other thing left in this episode is everyone comes back from their reward, and they find out about Bruce. They, You know, Saria and everybody, they come back expecting Shane to be mad about the whole uh, challenge, but it turns out that other things have happened that they weren't expecting, and all of a sudden Bruce isn't here, so they all talk about that and then uh shane pulls rs aside shane is furious with sari that she wouldn't he wouldn't pick shane she wouldn't pick shane for the reward shane says you know sari shouldn't be here danielle shouldn't be here he tries to make rs know it has to be the two of us at the end we're the only ones who belong here like i've had sari on my back this entire game all 300 pounds of her which is actually a, a really harsh quote that a lot of people forget that shane once made but yeah shane is just absolutely furious that these girls might seal his win now he just doesn't like the way this is going and, and I love a, seeing the way I love seeing the way that Sari kind of tries to mull things over with him as they have this conversation. Like when you're watching it, it just feels so like no, like 
no, like you and I have something. And he's like, well, like, you know, I'm concerned with what you have with Danielle. Well, we don't have what, you know, she and I don't have what, what we have. And there's just like absolutely no substance to it. But it seems to kind of like, you know, hold him over for now. Yeah, he yeah, po- totally I- buys it. And I do, and I do love the editing of this scene too. It's like one step removed from the heroes versus villains scene with Russell and Boston Rob, with Courtney and Sandra right there. With like it cuts between Shane and Aris and Danielle and Sari talking about each other when they're like within four feet of each other around the fire. Yep. So basically, they're all just scrambling now. Uh, there's not going to be any tribal council this episode, so there's no more strategy now. It's just the Kasaya people jockeying for position as they go into this next challenge in this in this next episode. Although. There is one more thing in this episode that bears uh, bears mentioning. This is <laughs> Bruce's final tribute: his rock garden, his beloved rock garden, <laughs> that he works so hard for nobody to mess with and nobody to touch. And what do they feel is a fitting tribute to Bruce? That's but right. to go into his rock garden and meddle with everything and make <laughs> LUV Bruce out of rocks in the middle of his Zen garden. Love you, Bruce. Yeah. That is maybe my funny, my favorite entry on the Funny 115 just because it's so subtle and it sets itself up so perfectly. But yeah, someone, I didn't even come up with that entry. Someone explained it to me. They said, you have to do a thing about Bruce's rock garden. Like, all he wanted in the world was for nobody to go in his rock garden. That's his entire thing, that Courtney fucks with his rock garden. He hates it. He doesn't want her to fuck with his rock garden. So what does she do as a tribute to him? The one thing that Bruce will always remember her, her by she goes and she fucks with his rock garden, and that's that is such a funny thing if you think about it. And it's it's a great little moment here, and she writes love, and it's so poignant and so so very Courtney. And, and it wasn't it wasn't in quotes, so you know it, it was good. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I love it because like they're they're doing it, and then I don't know who it was Sari or Danielle, and was like he would love this. He <laughs> yeah. would love this, and that's love with the the, the love quotes around it. Now, I do find it kind of sad that Courtney didn't take the time to draw a, sort of a heart around Bruce as they were carting him off the beach. So can he we, can we, closure. Can, hey, guys, can we stop here with the stretcher? I just I need to do something really quick. <laughs> exactly. Can you put him down? Let me get my fire toys. I can do a whole little thing. No. All right. So, yeah. So then Jeff comes out and has to talk to everyone. He explains the whole thing about about Bruce. And again. The the unintentional humor in this episode, and I don't know if you even guys even noticed this as much as I did. That oh uh, yeah, Jeff, plop it. Jeff, yeah, Jeff calls the tribe over. Hey, do you guys have seats or anywhere else you can plop it? So one more <laughs> final poop joke, unintentional poop joke in the Bruce poop episode. Thank you, Jeff Probst. <laughs> and that's it. Bruce tells them that Bruce or Probst tells them that Bruce is out of the game. The game is down now, down to the final six, and that is basically where we leave it. And the episode ends with a touching montage at the end of Bruce doing his psychotic <laughs> in front of all the villagers. Like, they, they don't give quotes of Bruce saying something, <laughs> you know, slightly inspirational or talking about some wisdom. Cause you know, Bruce went into a confessional and said some stuff that was probably a little heady and poignant because that's just the kind of guy he is. Nope, 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 nope. Let's just have wild-eyed Bruce doing doing kata. <laughs> well, well, even like Jenna's mom, lady, which uses the same music, it had like the, the beautiful shot of like the seagull flying away. And this was again Bruce doing karate and yelling for two minutes. <laughs> yeah, this one they should have shown a seagull, the same seagull flying away. Only it takes a huge dump as it's flying away, and that would have been the fitting ending. <laughs> that was <for> poetic. Yes. <laughs> Although I'm dying to know, Paul, what was what was Bruce's early show like? I want to know what Harry Smith asked him. You know, I I actually didn't get that. I, that was the one I skipped out on. So. 
I'll, I'll have to save that gem for next time. I'll let you know how much you know poop came up in that interview. What <laughs> secret scene was was cut there? I can only I imagine just, Harry Smith. Harry Smith's first question is like, "So uh, you can poop now, right?" <laughs> what were like, Nick's, Yeah, what were Nick Stanberry's ones? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, see, like, you can ask you you ask Scoopin like you can ask Scoopin like, "Are your hands okay?" But it's it's hard to ask Bruce like, "So yeah, uh, are you pooping again?" <laughs> <laughs> Did you follow your dreams? Did you stay hungry, kids? So yes, and that is the famous Bruce's Poop episode, and that is a perfect place to end this podcast, because that is the one of the highs of this season, and again, just to highlight again, the discrepancy between what the producers must have thought of this season and what the audience thought of the season. If you thought that the uh, Dan astronaut reaction was a big, fun one, this one's even better, because I swear to God, they didn't intend for this episode to be funny, it just was. And not only is it funny, I would say it's one of the funniest episodes ever in Survivor. It's just good all the way through. <laughs> Poor Bruce. And it's not, that, that but it's not just it's not just the Bruce thing. It's it's the the reward challenge like it's all just good. Huh. So, uh do we have anything else to talk about this episode? This is going to be one of our shorter podcasts unless we can fill it with some filler here. No, I think we're I think we're all, we're all drained here. We're drained. We're <laughs> we're like the opposite of Bruce. I'm completely drained. I don't know. We're 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 getting close to about three hours here. It's not too bad. Okay. Well, that's good. Um, For this stretch of episodes, that's good. Yeah, we we managed to get through the Lamina Paganging and not actually make it too boring. Hopefully, you guys had it was somewhat interesting to listen to because that is a that is a rough stretch of episodes to get through those three there. Yeah, and I think that's that's really big to emphasize. And I think even going into these next several episodes in the final part is really a it's going to be another change as well. I mean, I think this is sort of like the transition episode in a weird way because we, we, we haven't talked too much about Sari as a strategist but I feel like these next few episodes is really when Sari is going to cement her way as one of the best players to ever play this game because next we're getting to the 3-2-1 vote and that's where things get really really interesting when Goat start ta- starts uh, getting taken out left and right yeah no I totally agree it's, it's been Sari seasons for most part it's kind of in a subtle way you don't realize she's the star she's really going to be the star real quick here and then terry we got terry too all right um let's see uh anything else to add before we sign off for this one i think we've done all right and uh everyone needs to you know stick with us to the end because it gets good and we have a wambulance to call (laughs) me too uh do you guys mind if i plug my book Cool. I have to uh, ask approval now. Of course. Okay. Yeah, okay, plug, well, plug away, Paul. <laughs> yeah. Go, go, go ahead and go ahead and plug your book. I'm giving love signs around plug. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you who don't know, uh, this I Mario have written a a Survivor history book. It's basically it's called uh, When It Was Worth Playing For. It's kind of my memoirs of how I became a Survivor writer. Kind of a lot of my experiences with the show, and it's basically it's a really in depth. Uh, history book on what the first three seasons of Survivor were like as a fan, what it was like to follow the show, what the perception of the show was at the time, and it, it's a, it's kind of a unique history book. It's a unique way to look at the show. You're not going to see a lot of other Survivor books out there like this. It's because the players aren't allowed to write about the show. It's you're really only going to get fans being able to write Survivor history books at this point. So, 
I just wanted to plug it. If you like Survivor Historians, it's kind of a written version of Historians. It's much more in-depth. It's 470 pages, and it's only about the first three seasons. But you'll really like it. Again, it's called When It Was, when it was Worth Playing For. You can find it on Amazon. Or you can just go to my website at funny115.com, and you can buy it there. And I think anybody who likes this show will like the book. It's very much aimed towards the same audience. And uh, <clears throat> other than that, I think that's it for this week. You can tell my voice is starting to go out here. <clears throat> um, if you have any questions or comments, you can email us, as always, at survivorhistorians at gmail.com. And I think uh, that's probably it for the show. Um, as always, I'm Mario Lanza. I'm Jay Fisher. I'm Mike Bloom. I'm Paul Osselson, homie. And we'll see you next time after you take a massive poop. Goodbye. <laughs>